The great tower stood as a triumph of human ingenuity, a monument to what we could accomplish as one tribe. That's why God hated it. That's why he smashed our unity, scattered us into countless cultures, and left us to toil in our separateness, unable to come together and embrace the void. I find this void quite calming, actually. It's like, this time, the Xanax took me. Your sense of self is crumbling, and it's taking the void down with it. It's like I'm in a black void, trying to reach the news story. This concept of morality is a very interesting human characteristic. What is real? How do you define real? If you're talking about what you can feel, what you can smell, what you can taste and see. Warning, this podcast contains foul language, dark invocations, and treating women like their people. Welcome, friends, to episode 101 of Embrace the Void, where dealing with shit makes you part of the tribe. I'm your host, Aaron, and my guest this week is certainly going to be the most controversial one we've had on so far. Um, I'm very aware of the debate about the value of debates, uh, the meta-debate, as it were, and I'm sympathetic to folks who think that debates like this have little net value. If you are one of those individuals, this episode and the next one are likely not going to be uh, your cup of tea. And I understand, you know, this is the void. Expectations are low. Um, but on the other hand, I'm a Socratic. It's who I am. Uh, and I think that argument is one of the ways that uh, we can try to uh, gain understanding. And I think that the argument that we're going to have over the course of these next two episodes is at the heart of the void right now. Um, so that being said, um, I will reiterate something that I say at the end of part two, which is I really do not want this debate to be used as a cudgel against other people in the social justice warrior left who are skeptical of the value of arguments and choose to spend their time elsewhere. Um, I don't like seeing when people who do try to engage are used as a weapon against people who have good reasons um, not to engage. So um, if you're sharing this around, please don't share it in that kind of framework. I really appreciate it. And that being said, let's get to the interview. My guest this week is Bo Weingard, assistant professor of psychology at Marietta University, co-host of the Cyphalopod podcast, and contributor at Quillet Magazine. Bo, would you like to say hi to the void? Uh, yes, hello. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you for be will being willing to come on and have a rousing disagreement. Um, as I said in the uh, for folks in the intro. Uh, I understand that people have disagreements about disagreements, but I think uh, this is worth doing. Um, to focus our disagreement here some, we decided ahead of time that we were going to kind of focus in on a moral question of whether society ought to try to achieve social progress by potentially changing human nature. Uh, and I think that'll involve some referencing to some empirical claims, and we'll do the best we can not to get too far into the weeds on any one thing, but... Uh, mm -hmm. I thought it would be um, productive if we limited our conversation that way so that we weren't being too overly broad. Um, also, 
to be helpful, I thought it might be good to lay out our personal biases uh, and maybe find a few points of agreement before we move into points of disagreement. Um, so I, I'll start for myself. I, I have no biases. <laughs> okay, great. I was going to ask. We'll get there, right? I'll, I'll say I'll say for myself, I have biases, right? Okay. I'm I am a progressive uh, social justice type, um, and I think partly because I'm an ethicist philosopher, my views are probably somewhere on the more quote unquote extreme end of um, where I think we should be, though my pessimism about outcomes, I think often tempers my final policy conclusions. Um, now, it seems to me from looking at your materials, you would potentially self-identify as like a reactionary centrist or a pragmatic <laughs> centrist. Is that accurate? Ooh, a reactionary centrist. I, I haven't heard that. But, well, I saw uh, you call yourself a reactionary, and I saw you call yourself a centrist. So I assumed yeah. by the law of A plus A, A plus B here. <laughs> I kind of play around with self-labeling. I, I'd honestly mm, probably like some kind of pragmatic centrist, ultimately, at the end of the day. Okay, that, that gets to most of your tribal biases, you feel like? Well, I would say... Um, yeah, yeah, I, I probably have slightly more sympathy for, say, the National Review than I do for Vox. So probably slightly to the right, at least on social issues, but pretty progressive, really, on some economic issues. But yeah, if I if I had to identify with a tribe, it would be probably the tribe of the sort of, I, I don't want to be divisive, but maybe the anti-woke tribe. Yeah, it seems like you're part of what I would think of as the anti-social justice warrior yeah. centrist position. I mean, self-identifying yeah. as centrist, we can obviously debate how centrist the position is, because I think as you self-identified there, uh, I think a, a fair number of people in that group are – well, let me, let me put it this way. Do you spend more of your time, you feel like, as a centrist – arguing with people on the left or the right or or criticizing people on the left versus the right yeah 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 good question no very much so arguing with people on the left although i i would qualify that i think two ways one because i'm an academic i'm mostly around people who are on the left and the problems that i see in academia the the bias problems are mostly caused by people on the left so i focus on that more and then two i actually I used to be very much a person of the left. And mm -hmm. so I, I think I got into this habit of concerning myself more with my tribe than other people's tribes. And perhaps that's just carried over. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that is a common thing that like individuals, that, that there's this sort of almost mindset of like, well, the right's going to be the right. But like as yeah. a lefty, I can argue with other lefties. And that kind of yeah. morphs into only ever criticizing the left. Yeah, but I mean, to be fair, for example, I have certain like like I think free. I, I don't, I don't believe in whatever this means exactly. We could talk about that, although that'd be a yeah. side conversation. But I'm I'm I don't believe in free will, for example. I'm an atheist, so I have a lot of opinions that would cause consternation to certain conservatives. Um, mm -hmm. I just don't encounter them very often, so I don't have those debates. Right. I mean, my impression, and I've, I've spent the past week consuming quite a bit of your material, is that you are someone who I'm, I'm, I'm curious if I can tease this out, that you are someone who still is sort of left, but that you're angry about certain interactions you've had with left individuals, which I think is making it a little harder for you to 
steelbot the leftist position sometimes. Sometimes that's probably true, and I should probably I, I will say I should probably do better about that. I really should. I think it's important to do that. And I do enjoy I do have productive conversations with lots of people who are on the left. But yes, I think there's an amount of frustration that's caused. Fr- I don't know if I want to go so far as to say anger, but definitely frustration that's been caused uh, maybe in the past few years, and especially like mm-hmm. more as I've gotten into studying human population variation with just, I don't mind disagreement at all. I really don't. I, In fact, I love it. The, the, what I don't like is what I view as almost willful misrepresentation of things that I've said or that other people have said. That That's what I start to get irritated about. Yeah, I think my, my impression is that all the groups, left, right, and center, are feeling a lot of that at the moment, that everyone... Yeah, that's, that's probably true, yeah. Right, feels this anger and, and like... Um, feels like they're not being, they're the ones that are being, you know, most mischaracterized or something like that. Um, So good. So I feel like this allows us to at least be forward about our biases, even if we can't totally correct for them uh, for our our listeners. Um, So let's talk about some things that uh, I think we may be able to find some agreement on and that we'll we'll see if we can use, and if this goes poorly and we just start disagreeing, fine. But like, um, I, I think we can find some common ground here. So let me, uh, some of these are going to be um, normative or moral claims. Some of them are going to be empirical claims, but there okay. is a method to this madness. So, okay. right. So, the fir- right. So my first question is, and I'm going to pose most of these as questions. Um, do okay. you believe there are more or less moral ways to live? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So you are, I would argue, a kind of moral realist in the sense that you believe that there are objectively better and worse ways to flourish or potentially objectively better and worse ways to act towards others, things like that. Yes. Okay, great. That's just a useful thing to put out there so that we avoid like the the is-ought kind of concerns because I do think yeah. that we're drawing on a, a similar, um, some kind of moral realist, similar foundations yeah. there. Great. So- yeah. Do you believe uh, society can impact human nature by changing our beliefs and by changing and by, by changing our beliefs, our behavior and our environment? Absolutely. OK, great. So um, and connected to that, right, would you agree that society has been a, a key, maybe the key part of human success as a species because it allows us to change human nature much faster than just pure blind biological evolution? Okay, so I I don't want to get I don't want to sound pedantic, but I do want to make a distinction between sort of changing human nature and augmenting human nature in a sense. So I don't think an iPhone particularly changes human nature, but it changes the way humans interact with the world and with each other in a way that changes human social arrangements. Which can then in turn have implications for everything, including human biology, right? Oh, yes, yes, absolutely. But like, to be clear, I don't think, For, for let me just take a concrete example. I don't think that there were differences, really, substantial differences between the human nature of people in East Germany and West Germany before they re- reunited. But there were definitely massive social differences. Okay. But you do think, it seems from what I've seen that you do think that there are some group differences in terms of the nature of certain populations yes yes but i i, I do and i guess my point is i just want to make it clear that mm-hmm. not all 
not all differences between groups are caused by differences in their nature. Some okay. probably are, and it's a matter of degree, and we'd have to get specific about the groups involved, yeah. Right, and like part of the reason, sort of a follow-up question here is that like part of human success is our, our mental and behavioral plasticity with regard yes. to our environments and our societies, right? Absolutely, yeah, right. I would agree with that. And I yes. think this, I lay these questions out this way because I think you you and I, I mean, I've seen other people have this trouble as well, getting into discussions about blank slateism and like, you know, it, it, framing the argument in terms of whether people think that it's cultural or nature versus or cultural or nurture versus biological nature or something like that. And mm-hmm. those end up being proxy categories, I think, for whether whether a feature is is more or less mutable right how yeah. how easily can something be changed yeah right? i think that's right and in fact i i will just say that i have um i think i've kept to this i've pretty much refrained from using the term blank slate anymore because mm-hmm. i just think it's not a particularly fruitful characterization i think the way you put it is is basically how modifiable is pretty close to what we're getting at. I don't think anybody's mm-hmm. really a complete blank slate is. Right. I think the debate is really, are there certain features that are functionally essential in the sense that you're not going to be able to change them yeah. even yeah. with a lot of cultural pressure, right? Right, that's, exactly. That's where I yeah. think the, the fight is a little bit. Okay, yeah. great. So, yeah. And so it seems like I would, I think you would probably say yes, right? You believe that one of the major purposes of society in changing human nature, quote unquote, is changing how people act morally, getting people to be more moral, essentially. Oh, wow. That's, I'm, oh, I'm not sure that I would follow that. I would say it, it is getting people to work together more productively. And, to, and of course, part of that is moral um but like our decline let's say declines in violence so let's say we we create social implements that you know mm-hmm. so, social institutions that cause a decline in violence right it's not clear. I, i'm not sure that i would call that moral necessarily so like the, let's say the rise of states in say 14 to 1700 that was coupled with a dramatic decrease in violence and in, in, in um homicide race let's say right now was that a moral was it moral not really because it's not as if the the states that rose were suppressing violence for altruistic moral reasons right <laughs> right but you have uh, from, i mean sorry i, I keep going to keep referencing because i've listened through your podcast now um oh, sure right you're you say you seem to lean towards the utilitarian perspective that like yeah. it's the consequences that determine whether something is moral not the intentions so if we get you know like th- this to me is a weird <laughs> distinction between politics okay. and morality to me, politics mm-hmm. is morality on a larger scale with more people and more problems. But like following Aristotle here, I think that these two are fundamentally yeah. connected, that like the purpose of society when it gets beyond merely survival is promoting human flourishing. Mm-hmm. OK, so I think that um, I think that that's true. OK, I do. But but I I. I the utilitarian framework can be coupled with at least a small appreciation of intentions, I think. So here's a question. Oh, of course. Absolutely. I didn't mean to say okay. otherwise. Yeah. Okay. No, I, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean to suggest, but I, I, I think it's important just because it's not clear to me, for example, that Steve, that we could describe Steve Jobs' behavior just making um, 
uh, iPhones and getting rich as moral, even though it actually did lead probably, although we could debate this, but let's just assume this is correct. It probably did lead to a, a dramatic increase in utility, at least in the United States and European countries, let's say. Now, is that moral? I don't know. But, yeah. I, mean, okay. I mean, it seems to me that it is. It's, it's so like I think an action can be it have different degrees of morality to it. Right. You can say it has very moral consequences, even if the intentions uh-huh. were not particularly moral. OK. Right. Or if the intentions were entirely neutral. Let's do this. Let's. Yeah. I, I will agree with you in 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 this in this sense. In the okay. sense that yes, what I would like from society is to increase people's utility, and ultimately, there's a moral dimension to that. Sure. Okay. And and maybe we can re, um, uh, reinforce this a little bit with the next question, which is: Do you believe that like there has been substantive improvement in the behavior of humans? as a result of social changes in the past 300 years that have improved humans in terms of moral behavior and increased mm-hmm. their quality of life. Absolutely, yes. Okay, great. Um, and that would, I think, suggest that there is at least some connection between the goal of trying to make people more moral and trying to make people happier, right? Um, yes, yes, yeah. So from these things and and there's one more claim here that I think will get us towards maybe um some of our points of disagreement mm-hmm. but I I I've tried to put it in a way that I think is mild enough that I think you would have to agree here is that a variety of systemic injustices historic injustices involving things like race gender sexuality other factors um mm-hmm. You know, immigration status, all sorts of things have created systems of social inequality that are harmful to people and that it would be better if they were done away with. Uh, Certainly, I would agree in the past. I suppose if we got into the contemporary scene, we would probably disagree. But let's agree that, yes, those have existed. And it's a good thing that we've made significant progress there. Yeah, and I mean, this is the the sort of tension between this and the last question is I do think that we have made significant progress, but I also think that in the present, this claim is very much alive and true. So we can make that, I think, part of our argument. Um, So based on these premises, right, it seems Mm -hmm. to me this is how this is where I end up a progressive social justice individual, right? If I buy all of these collections of moral and empirical premises, I get the conclusion that uh, it is good for society to promote progress in human behavior, even mm-hmm. if, you know, old, some older generations or some groups that have certain entrenched power and stability are strongly adverse to those changes, and that, mm-hmm. you know, we improve society by reducing systemic injustice. And that's, that's mm-hmm. what I think most people, or not, I shouldn't say most people, that's what I think is the steel version of the progressive liberal position um would you agree that that is sort of a a fair version of that position and i guess i'm curious what would be needed to get me from that position to your position well so yeah so that's an interest i I mean in the abstract i would agree that yes that is the steel bot version of the sort of progressive position okay Uh, and, and also I completely endorse that version. <laughs> okay, great. So, so you are – this is why I, I get a little confused in the terminology because it seems like you are a progressive liberal who's just frustrated by the current situation. Right, but here's where I think the details start to matter because okay. I think that 
why I, I would consider myself somewhat socially conservative, at least as I understand this steel-bodied conservative view of the world, is mm-hmm. because I think that social order is precious and it's important to attempt to preserve it. And I think sometimes change that happens too rapidly actually causes more damage than good. And I would use examples such as the French and Russian revolutions, but there are other ones and we can talk about it. And I also think that, yes, I agree with you, even though sometimes you're going to upset, irritate, perturb the older generation, and that's a good thing. But we do all have like this sort of social covenant together that we have to attempt to balance competing interests. And Mm -hmm. if you irritate one segment of society too much, even if we think what we're doing is good and we can get into that, that might actually lead to worse outcomes for everybody. Okay. So let's look at some concrete examples of what you're describing, because there has been radical social change in this country in our lifetimes. Do you think it's good that gay marriage is now the law of the land and that like religious conservatives are at least forced to coexist in a world where people are allowed to get gay married that like, you know, let's set aside for the moment, like the cake baker. Right. But just more broadly speaking, a lot of the animus I experience from the right is anger about things like, you know, Christians being forced to endorse gay marriage or people being forced to accept transgender rights. Like, but do you feel like those are a good examples of successes on the social progress? Chart? Oh, okay, so it's interesting. So let's take so the gay marriage one. Mm-hmm. I I'm open to debate about the wisdom of having the Supreme Court rule on that. So I, I can I've read people and I read, for example, Justice Roberts' dissent in the Obergefell case, and I find that reasonably persuasive. However, I myself was a a champion of gay marriage since, I don't know, 1996 or something. So I personally definitely favored it. Yes, I think I would have rather the the progression to to gay marriage avoided the Supreme Court and just worked state by state, although I'm open to arguments otherwise. But. But ultimately, yes, I am glad that we live in a society in which gays are allowed to get married. Yeah, I mean, it uh, seems to me problematic when, when we do the solution of people get rights state by state because there are a lot of people, especially lower income individuals, who then end up not being able to get access to their rights because they lack levels of mobility. Uh, yes. That, I, ideally, I agree with you that like it should have gone through Congress rather than the Supreme Court. That's the legislator's job. The problem, right. it seems to be, is that we currently live in a country where, and this, I think, plays to my, a little bit of my concerns about taking the centrist mantle over the progressive, is that it gives mm-hmm. the impression that the current conflict is because there are two extreme sides that are both being extreme, when the reality, mm-hmm. I think, is much closer to there's one very, very, very extreme side, and the other side is being radicalized to defend itself from that le- those levels of extremism and it's and that the first group is not the left um i'm not sure that i would accept that description but let's just set that aside for a sure, moment sure. because i i agree with you i i don't the centrism that i would adhere to is not a centrism that says both sides are like equally this or that and therefore we should work toward the center the centrism that i subscribe to is is much more of just a pragmatic philosophy that doesn't have like a 
a strong ideology. It's like what works in specific cases. And it does emphasize compromise because ultimately you have to live together with these people and you can't cause okay. too much alienation from another group. I, I, I get concerned about that. Though you do, you would also have to acknowledge that there are important historic examples where the right yeah. thing does produce a lot of alienation at first that is then reconciled yeah. through further challenges. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and somebody, I mean, um, I know a decent amount about the Civil War. I wouldn't consider myself a scholar, certainly. And I think there's definitely an argument that the Civil War was a case of absolute bloodshed that was necessary to, I mean, to be clear, the people in the North didn't fight it to liberate slaves. That's not what their purpose was, but it ultimately ended in the liberation of slavery or in the, the abolition of slavery, excuse me. And that was probably ultimately worth it, even though it was horrible. Uh, okay, this, this is valuable because I think one of the um, one of the things I often see lobbed at the left from the center is that the left is somehow a, a more dangerous source of totalitarian overreach than the right. Usually relating to like mm -hmm. the left believes in positive rights, whereas the right only believes in negative rights. Right. Um, mm -hmm. So it, it does, it's good to hear at least that you think that there are situations where morality should be enforced at the end of a gun because no other solution is available in that yeah. moment. And that's, I do think that. Yeah. yeah and that yeah. I think yeah. that the left can make that case sometimes. Yes, I, I agree with that. To be to be clear, though, I, I would be very mm, circumspect about sure. when we should enforce morality with a gun. <laughs> sure, it's obviously not the first resort. Right. Um, yeah. So, okay, but okay, let's get back to um, our, our topic a little bit here. If mm -hmm. you think that gay marriage becoming sort of part of the the nature of things, if that kind of rapid social progress is mostly a good thing it sounds mm -hmm. like what are the examples yep. that you have in mind of sort of rapid social progress in our society that is a bad thing well okay so i, I mean the let's go from the gay marriage to trans and then maybe to immigration i think is how i'll work this okay. so gay marriage i think uh, is a good thing i think moving slowly on gay marriage which actually really did happen in some sense i think there there was a slow, concerted effort to persuade people, and you just look at polls now, attitudes towards gay marriage, are significantly different from what they were in, say, 1992, because persuasion won it there. And I think that's important. So you actually, the, the, gay, the gay rights movement, if we could call it that, actually succeeded, I think, by persuading people, mostly. I mean, I, mean, I think it succeeded mostly by having everyone end up knowing someone who is gay. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, and I you can call that, I mean, you can call it, I suppose, a kind of persuasion. It's unfortunately not a very rational kind of persuasion, right? Yeah, I, I, just, I just want to sort of clarify, I guess I'm saying that, like, I don't think this happened because people were brought about to the right view through disagreement. I think it happened because sure. there were an, there was enough of a cultural tip and then everyone else came along for the ride. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I accept that. Although, I mean, like, I think the thing that's complicated with gay marriage is... A lot of one's attitude toward gay marriage depends on one's attitude about marriage. And so, for example, in ancient Greece, I don't think it, it, it wouldn't make any sense to have gay marriage because they viewed marriage as this very uh, this institution that was designed to procreate their society. Right. And like 
they didn't view marriage the way we have come to view marriage. So I think it's important to keep in mind that the way when we say right to marriage, that probably wouldn't make any sense if we were talking about a different society. The reason it yeah, makes but I sense. Mean, that's true of a lot of the rights out there, right? The right to free speech wouldn't have made sense to a lot sure, of societies. No. Oh, no, I agree with that. But I guess my only point is to say that I don't think the, the um, uh, prohibition on gay marriage was always motivated by anti-gay animus. In fact, I, I don't think that was the case at all for a lot of human history. Now, Just in America, and yeah, under in Christianity. America, yeah, and Christianity certainly has a lot to play there, yeah. I mean, I guess, let's set that aside. That's getting a little... Areas where I have concerns, though, because mm-hmm. I think we agree on the gay marriage one, by and large, uh-huh. areas where I have concern is, for, for example, with trans issues, although I... I I'm not an expert on these issues, so I don't want to, it's not like sort of my bailiwick, if you will, but it's, it does concern me in that it appears that we're making very quick changes in our understanding of gender and who can participate in women's sports, et cetera, who can go in what bathroom, that, that these changes are disconcerting to people. And I think actually reasonably so i can understand why people would be and and how many pronouns do we use this this strikes me as not not as big a deal i mean like as as it is made out to be right uh so maybe maybe we can debate this here a little bit i i i understand that here let me put it this way first of all right much like you did with the gay marriage thing i can point out that the debate between gender differences and the nature of gender goes back to Simone de Beauvoir, right? Goes back to the second sex, goes back to second wave feminism, not even third wave feminism, right? This whole idea that women are more than just their biology is not Mm -hmm. a new idea. It's just Mm -hmm. that um, we as a society have caught up in a sense with the idea that if gender really is a social construct and there are people who Mm -hmm. are who are suffering under enforced traditional gender norms that they don't like, that it would be mm-hmm. better for them to be free to be whoever they are, just like mm-hmm. we did with gay people. So I'm, I'm not sure how you get from there to like, it's a, it's a justifiable fear of letting a trans woman go into a bathroom. Well, because I, I okay. So I, I think I agree with most of what you said. I think mm-hmm. the important thing here is though, Gender identity. So, you know, let's suppose that you have <clears throat> 10 males who identify. Uh, so I don't know the terminology. I'm going to try to be cautious with it. So 10 cis males who are mm-hmm. trans women. And they so so do we treat them exactly as we would treat biological cis women? I I'm skeptical of that claim. I mean, there's, so why why are you skeptical? Well, for one thing, would I be more concerned about having my daughter babysat by a trans woman than a cis woman? Yeah, probably. Okay, but and why? I'm, I mean, I understand that's your inclination, but what what evidence would you be basing that inclination on? Well, well okay, I don't. I I'd have to look at the evidence. I don't have any. I'm not saying that that's completely rational right now. So let's put a just put a footnote. All I'm saying is that. I would be, we'd have to look at the evidence. My suspicion is that a lot of people feel that way. Now, you can say, I guess your comeback would be, 
they shouldn't feel that way. It's completely irrational, right? Well, I mean, I, I can point you to the people who will say that they would be really ang- anxious about having a gay person babysitting their children sure. for very and, similar and, reasons. So I'm yeah. curious why you think that one one is not well, good anymore and the other is still understandable. Well, I'm not. Well, I'm not saying either are good or bad. Okay. I'm I, I'm saying. I'm saying I don't think I think it's reasonable. Oh, oh, let's just stick. Let's go to sports where the, the evidence is clear and it's easier to talk. Well, about I want to be careful about going to sports here, actually, because I think okay. that sports is a very special case and a wedge okay. issue that is being used specifically to push the idea that trans women are not women. So I think it's I find it very important before we talk about sports that we first agree on. Uh, some notion of the idea that trans women really are women and that it would be better in society. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, hold on, hold on. Let me just say, okay. that, that sure. it seems like if we can't agree that trans women are women, right? And I'm not mm-hmm. saying you disagree either way. And we can't sure. agree that as best as we can, we as a society ought to treat them as if they are women, treat them mm-hmm. as women because that mm-hmm. there, there is no distinction, right? If we, if we really buy the, the social construct understanding of um, gender, uh, gender sure. expression, right? Um, okay. If we can, if we can agree on those two things, then mm-hmm. I'm willing to have a conversation about the hard problem of sports. I guess okay. is how I would put so, it. So that's good. So it gives me. So you think? It, okay. So let's set sports aside because that actually you think is at least a harder problem. So here's a here's here's a question. Do you think that if I identified as black? And I got pigment that made me look black, that I would, that people should treat me as though I am black? Yeah, so this is a really complicated question. Um, <laughs> and I mean, like, I acknowledge that it is a complicated ethical question okay. because I do think that race is socially constructed, right? Okay. And the reason it is complicated is because uh, there is. There are social inequalities that exist in the world between mm-hmm. groups, it seems to me, and that there mm-hmm. is a a risk that individuals could engage in a kind of um, oppression voyeurism by adopting a certain kind of um, uh, identity, right, for mm-hmm. the sake of a variety of problematic reasons. Now, I realize that there are similar arguments that could be made um, for trans individuals. And this is why I ultimately Mm -hmm. would say, I think the goal should be a world where harm, where where inequalities between groups are eliminated effectively Mm -hmm. as much as they can be. And that in that world, people should be able to be whatever color, gender, anything that they want, because I'm a neo-futurist. I think that like identity should be as constructed as it can possibly be. Okay, so that's interesting. Now, what I find odd, I will say, is the claim that somebody would engage in oppression voyeurism. So let me give you my interpretation of why people don't like it if you would identify as black. Because what I think is people in our society realize that you actually get benefits for being black. And what irritates people is the notion that I could turn myself into a black person and then get benefits for that that I haven't earned. Well, this is why I, this is why I think it's it's a different question in the real world versus in a world where we don't have social inequality. Right? Because I mean, first of all, there's very little evidence that if you turned yourself black it would go better for you. Like Oh, I think 
definitely would. I, I think statistically think. speaking, it would go worse for you, actually. Well, right, but we have to talk about what causes the disparities, right? Well, we, I mean, like, we don't in the sense that if you're willing to just, you know, if you just think that people are, like, looking at the numbers and assuming statistically their outcomes will be better if they switch colors, the reality is you are a much better color already than you could ever be in terms of your oh, likely yeah. outcomes. Oh, I understand that, but I'm saying we have to look at what causes the outcome. So, for example... Let's say, so men are, uh, if we look at uh, the distribution, men are better at, well, that's not a good one. Let me think of a different one. (laughs) So so let's say there are more blacks incarcerated, right? And so you might say, well, if you turned yourself black, then that would, I guess, increase your likelihood of ending up incarcerated. Correct. Yeah, but not, not if the cause of the incarceration is an actual disparity in crime rate, then it wouldn't. But the so cause the cause I'm, is not an actual disparity in criminal behavior. It's a disparity yeah, in policing yeah. behavior. Okay, well, we, we'll have to have that debate some other time. <laughs> but I mean, I think these these are important. I mean, my point here is, right? Yeah, but this, here's this, my yeah, go ahead. How about I ask you this question? I apologize okay. for interrupting, but let me let me just ask this question, then we can go from there. If the fact of the matter is that converting myself into an African-American would actually make my life substantially worse, then why would anybody be opposed to it? I'm actually imposing a cost on myself. Because people might feel like it's what you're actually um, taking on is a caricature of them, that it's um, there are there are problematic ways in which you are reinforcing some kinds of stereotypes by adopting their appearance while also adopting certain what you think of as quote-unquote black sets of behavior for example and these are similar arguments that you see with um anti-trans activists will argue that like transgenderism is a kind of um playing dress up and pretending to be someone you're not like an appropriation of female kind of cultural appropriation right yeah um yeah but but the see the see the thing is you're you don't accept it in the trans sexual or excuse me transgender case you don't accept that argument right no and i and that's why i ultimately wouldn't um accept it in the racial case either right okay. if, if i really do feel like you know i i feel very bad for someone like Rachel Dolezal and like mm-hmm. i do think that there are people who would benefit from a even more and this is why i'm a social progressive i think that we have been constrained in so many ways by expectations and appearances and so the more fluid we allow our expectations and appearances to be the Mm -hmm. the better off we'll be in a lot of these situations i can i honestly can sympathize with that i i can't i can see that argument and i'm like sort of the ideal world and in that universe, I guess, would be one in which you basically get to choose an avatar and just yeah. be whatever identity you want. Exactly. I'm going to be one of the people from the Cats trailer. Um, <laughs> so, right. yeah. I've, I've thought about that and I, I totally I, I understand that. So let's set that aside, though, just to point out, I think my my problem with the trans thing, though, is like, in some sense, you're forcing people to lie, because when you say. Ooh, that, person, that's going to be a tough one to make. Go for it, though. Okay. Because when you say, like, biologically, we have no problem identifying most people's sex about, I don't know, 99 point something percent of the time. There are a few cases that are of intersex and it gets complicated. Yeah. And, then, and I, I also would put a pin in the fact that, like, 
we ha- we'd have to go back to the conceptual notion that sex is malleable, that biological sex is malleable, just like gender expression and things. Well, are. Okay, but biological sex has a pretty reasonable reasonable definition of just it's anisogamy. It's which which organism has the larger gametes. Yeah, unfortunately, that people who talk about biological sex differences absolutely never stick to just the gametes. They well, always sure. want to talk about other features. And so you can't just say, well, it's just mm-hmm. it's easy to distinguish because it's just the gametes, because that's only right, right. only used when people are trying to make that one little distinction. And then they go on to say a bunch of other differences. Okay, but there are downstream consequences from the disparity in gamete size. Potentially, but we don't know how they work very well. So, like, especially living in a society that is heavily, has been heavily gendered for much of human history, it's hard Mm -hmm. for us to know how much of what we see in behavior, body type, expression, all these kinds of things is necessarily the result of purely having XY versus XX versus Mm -hmm. a variety of other. factors and and that like again it just comes back to and we could change these things if we want to we're you know like we we could see in our lifetimes gene modification having to do with this at this level even and the question the question we were trying to debate here is is that a good thing should we be allowed to develop that technology and and present it to people who want to switch their you know their gametes sure sure but i think i I think when we get to that point the 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 i i would answer your question a little bit differently so if we if we imagine we're in the year 2300 and you can literally create whatever genome you want and you'll just have like whatever identity you want i think we should behave differently in that world from the world we currently inhabit I think we will behave differently. I think in this world, we should behave as if we are trying to get to that world while harming as few people as possible along the way. I don't don't know that I disagree with that. I'd have to think that through very carefully. I haven't come to like a strong opinion on that. But there is a difference because if you're asking me to treat a trans, I, I have no problem using a person's preferred pronouns. I I would personally do that. However, I do understand that there are a lot of people who feel as though they're being compelled to distort reality, and they don't like it. I think that that's, that's, uh, uh, I mean, I get that they feel like they're distorting, they're being compelled to distort reality. As an ethicist, I get this all the time, though. You're compelling people to do X. You're compelling people to do... Yeah, we compel people to do things when it reduces the harm that they are causing to other people. And and to say, well, you're forcing me to lie, that's not really accurate. Right? Okay, I mean, like, but- I'm not asking you to lie. I'm asking you to say... To refer to someone by their gender. And if you have a, an argument about gender versus biological sex, fine, mm-hmm. whatever. But, like... Mm-hmm. Even like because we set aside the question of sports, right? In ninety nine percent of cultural interactions, right, off of a sports field, there is zero negative repercussions from you just treating someone by their gender identity. As far as I can tell, that like the arguments that it creates a higher physical risk for women are false. There, there's evidence yeah. against that, I, right? I, I, that like there's evidence that like a, a trans woman is in some ways even less likely to harm than a cis woman because of things like mm-hmm. hormone modification. So mm-hmm. I 
I don't understand. I guess I got to come back to your identification as sort of leaning conservative, right? What what mm-hmm. are we conserving that is valuable here if there's no harm caused by just having well, people I'm, respect other people's genders? I would say the biological truth. So, like, for example, let's just ask this question. Suppose that I decided I'm going to identify as a camel. I'm not saying that this is exactly analogous with the trans case, but I just want to make the point. So if I say I want to identify as a camel and you're going to call me a camel and you're going to treat me as though I'm a camel, do you think that other people have to respect that? Do you think they have to treat me as though I'm a camel? I think that if they're your friends, then they and you really want to be treated as a camel. I mean, like, here's what I think, right? Here's what I think in terms of interactions, right? Yeah. There's a yeah. difference. I mean, like, I know people who identify in all sorts of really interesting ways. Like, sure. and in terms of interactions, like, it's a different question if I'm, you know, if they're in a doctor's office and I, I don't want the doctor to, you know, I don't, I'm not going to take them to a veterinarian clinic is what I'm saying sure, here, sure. right? I'm taking them to a human yeah. hospital. But there's yes. a world of real life difference between claiming you're a camel or an attack helicopter and claiming that you are one gender <laughs> instead of another, right? Okay. I agree with that. I this, agree, this is a I fallacy think... in the sense that you jumped from the biological designation of camel to the social designation of woman. And the problem, I think, really is most conservatives really want to reject the, the main notion that gender is anything and that we should do anything other than refer to people's biological sexes. Oh, I, I mean, you'd have to point me to those conservatives. But oh, I, I'm I mean, not... I can. I mean, Andy Lewis, I guess the first one comes to mind online. Like there are there are lots of the I mean, if you read the current work being put out by like stock and the gender critical feminists, oh. right, oh. Who, who I would argue are a kind of conservative in the sense that they are trying to conserve some version of first wave feminism, right? They argue okay. that like, they, they are they are pulling back from the notion that we should separate gender and biology. Okay. And, and I mean, part of the problem here is, as I said, I'm, I'm this, I'm not actually like an expert or, or terribly well read in these issues. So I don't have strong opinions. I, I think I'm trying to express uh-huh. concerns that I think ordinary people I've talked to have and that seem reasonable to me. I haven't I have not actually thought through the trans issue particularly carefully. So uh, so it's okay. it, I, so let's, let's talk about I, a different issue then a little bit, right? Okay. I um because I, I guess what I'm trying to do here is it seems like you've sort of agreed to our point of debate at this point with me that like society should try to create social progress where Absolutely. possible and that yep. like it is a good thing um, yep. and that in that sense, social progressives are correct. And and yet I'm still trying to understand, I guess now I've, I've read in a lot of your materials, it feels like you are sort of catastrophizing a little bit the risk that this kind of progressive ideology poses to society. So I'm trying to see if there's like specific cases where you see that this like ideology is leading to really harmful beliefs or something. Well, I mean, okay. So that's a good, it's a good question. I mean, that ideology as you expressed it is not what I'm concerned about. And I don't think I've ever complained about that in my life. And most of my friends are progressives according to that ideology. I do have problems and certain, I have problems with progressives getting people fired. I have problems with them interrupting and not allowing certain kinds of discourse and debates. 
I have problems with them calling people racist and fascist when with very little evidence for those claims. Those are the the concrete details that well, I worry about. about the racism thing, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, I see you get concerned a lot about people calling people names. And I am gather that, like, because of your human biodiversity work, you get called a racist pretty frequently. Um, first of all, it confuses me a little mm-hmm. bit that you're bothered by this because, and I don't, I don't mean this in a, in a, in a no. insulting way, you yep. seem to hold a racist view in the sense of, right, if we translate from race to popular population differences, you believe mm-hmm. that there are population differences. You believe that mm-hmm. those differences are sometimes related to features that have value in our society, things like yep. IQ. And in yep. that sense, you are, you are someone who believes that racism or, or, you know, gender differences are the correct empirical view, right? Well, but that's, I mean, I think what's happened in New Zealand, it would be, you know, it's taking a term that has incredibly pejorative connotations and applying it to somebody who thinks that it just happens to match the the sort of, okay, so there's a big difference between believing that there are population differences Mm-hmm. Even on socially valued traits and believing that one racial group should dominate another or one population should dominate another, etc. And I, I and, think and in when, your defense, you seem to think that society should be in the business of smoothing over population differences, right? It would be better if, if society closed all the IQ gaps, for example. If you could do it, I would be the first in line calling for it, of course. And I also think, and this is where I mean, maybe we'll get to immigration, but like this is why also I'm sympathetic to nationalism, because I believe that one of the best ways to create population harmony is by creating a superordinate identity, which might be the nation state. And I think, yes, when you have people in your nation, racism inside the United States should be intolerable. It's something that I I don't want and I would definitely not encourage and I think we should strive to get rid of it. I don't think however that that means that we have to deny pretty obvious differences among groups. I think that that's a completely separate question. Well, yeah, I mean I think this gets complicated because I think um when people are skeptical of that data of the yeah. the biodiversity yeah. data, there's good reason for them to be skeptical. Because there's a yeah. long history of badly done science backing up these kinds of claims, right? Sure. So, sure. like, there's a there's a good reason to have those kind of priors. And there's a good reason, I think, one that I think you, you've been forced around to by your host, co-host a little bit, that, like, there is some justification for being anxious when, that this information will be misused by individuals to cause – to lead to harmful policies, well, that's something that I myself I, I have definitely thought about a lot. Here, here, so, I your first point is a really good one, and I do agree with that, and I, I agree that I do understand skepticism about it. But here's what I would encourage at least academics to do. This is what academics should be doing. Before you, and again, I, I, I want to be clear. I don't really mind if people call me names. It happens. It that's okay. I, I do start to mind when you see people like my friend Noah Carl who get fired. That's where I start to have a big problem. Now, I think the name racist contributes to wanting to get people fired, and that's why I don't really like that. 
Um, I can understand I, that, and I'm not um, I'm not familiar enough with the Noah Carl situation to okay. feel like I can speak to. Sure. I know that you've I've mentioned that one a couple of times, and I, I, um, I, you know, the thing about the firing stuff and like deplatforming questions more broadly, like mm-hmm. I think these are complicated questions as well because you know it's very hard to draw the line between this person is doing overtly white nationalist research. And mm-hmm. this person is just doing research that just happens to come to the conclusion that, you know, white Westerners are better. <laughs> right. Well, well I, okay. So I'm not saying that you come to that conclusion. I'm just no, saying no, no, that, no, like, no. you know, everyone claims that they're the ones doing the objective research. Right. I, I no one, no one puts on a twirly mustache and says, I'm the like, I'm the monster here. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. So let's try to remember that for a second, because I, I do want to get back to this earlier mm-hmm. point that you made, which um, so you, your your argument was that, you know, it's reasonable for people to be skeptical of this. I totally agree with that. And for ordinary people, for, for quote, regular people, and I don't mean that in a pejorative way, but for people who don't have the time or the resources to read all the material on this, that's fine. For academics, however, I hold them to a higher standard. If you're going to opine about something, then you ought to read the literature and familiarize yourself with it. And then we can have the discussion about it. And all I want to do is have a reasonable discussion about it. My academics do that, though, right? I have, I mean, the number of people I have talked to who would tell me Charles Murray is a racist, but then admit that they had never read the bell curve. It's it's a high number, and I will say also the number of people who have of academics read, or yeah. just people on Twitter. Yeah, academics, okay. academics, people that I knew in academia. Okay, and so yeah, some of them do, and then they can disagree with me, and that's perfectly fine. But I have spent years reading the literature, and this is my mature conclusion. I believe that there are population differences that there are some population differences on socially valued traits that are likely genetically caused. I don't know the exact proportion, but I just want to have a discussion about that. And I think I do, I do understand the, the, I understand what you're saying about like people being skeptical of that and they should be, but I do think also it, it would it would be good if the academics who criticize that read the literature very carefully and do their best to steel man it. <laughs> okay. I, I, I mean, I think I, I feel like I've seen a lot of steel manning of um, so would biodiversity example, perspectives. Somebody, would you give me an example of somebody who steel mans biodiversity but disagrees with it? Because um, I'm not. Because if you can find the person, I would love to befriend that person. Um. Yeah, there was some pushback and forth about this. Let me see if I can find something off the top of my head here. I uh, have a few I have a few friends, by the way, who disagree with me and I feel as though they steal man it, but I don't want to say anything publicly about them. So so I, I there are a few people, but I, I don't know well, many. So I guess for example, um I thought that the very bad wizards guys, I don't know if you listen to the very bad wizards podcast. I don't know. Um, they did a really great bit on um, racial groups and okay. differences between races. And I think they did a very okay. fair job working through the literature and, and still saying, you know, this is not 
particularly indicative of the conclusions that a lot of people draw from these things. And that's the important part. Like, I, I don't see a lot of people who are saying there's absolutely no population differences, right? Okay. They debate what follows from those in terms of what we can say about things like inequality within society, sure. right? They debate. Um, and, and they also, I think, it's not just past fear. There's good reason in the present when we have, I think you'd have to agree, a president who stokes racial animus as a way to gain power and that there is a large sort of resurgence since the Obama era of racial animus in this country that like there is a hunger for people who will attack the leftist views about diversity and present mm -hmm. a more scientifically coded um appearing neutral but very favorable ultimately to the conservative view and this is what i really worry about with quillet is that it basically does exactly this okay so i agree i agree about trump definitely i am very off put by his rhetoric and even though i am sympathetic to some of the sort of if you could say it let's say larger philosophical views of trumpism and we can get to those I'm sympathetic to some of them. Mm -hmm. I, I find him, uh, he is a repugnant avatar and actually does more damage to ideas that I would like to see prevail in the marketplace. <laughs> and so in many ways, I'm disgusted by his rhetoric. Yes. And I do agree that there is increasing racial tension in the United States. I would not, however, I, I think that there, some of it is obviously, you know, the sort of Trumpist movement is to blame to a degree. A lot of the blame, though, I think, and, and this is where I'm sure we'll disagree, but I'm happy to discuss, is should be put at the feet of the people who, prompt, who, who participate in identity politics with zeal on the Democratic side. And I've watched the Democratic debates for the, the, the two debates that they had for the, the new wave. And the amount of racial demagogy on the stage was horrifying to me. I don't like it when Democrats do it, and I don't like it when Republicans do it. I I guess I'm I think that there's there's not really any kind of remote level of equivalence here, and that if we look at the history of um identity politics in this country it's way more complicated than this and that what what you really see it seems to me right the narrative that i buy into with all my biases right is okay. that for the past 60 years or so the left has been successful in identity politics in the sense of achieving social change achieving mm -hmm. the civil rights achieving mm -hmm. gay rights all of these kinds of changes right those successes right. in the form of identity politics you're right they helped specific mm -hmm. identity groups has sure. enraged the right who wanted to conserve a status quo that did not allow for a bunch of these kinds of things and that that's what's mm -hmm. driving the animus on the right but I don't think that we should ever – I mean, like, we have to live with that animus, but it, we, can't, we can't roll back the progress for the sake of protecting those people. Well, okay, so I, I agree with almost everything you said there. I really okay. do. I, I think identity politics are perfectly reasonable 
if you're a minority group that's actually significantly oppressed in a society. So I don't even oppose White people that. do identity politics all the time, though. We well, have to remember that, like, Trump won because of white identity I politics. Agree. I agree. And you're going to see more of that. You're going to see more of the white identity politics because, bo- I mean, I'm not. I don't I'm think we've ever both- seen less of it. I, I've never lived in a time where there was not an overabundance of white identity politics. This you is what I think know. is wrong about your account is that, like, there was no white identity politics. And then there was suddenly. But, like, white identity politics is American politics for hundreds of years. Oh, and- I agree with. OK, so let's be. I agree with that. But I think a nation. It, I can't think, I mean, there might be a counterexample to this, but nations generally have ethnic groups that are the majority, and inevitably they're seen as sort of the identity of the nation, right? And so, yes, I agree with you. In 1870, well, let's let's even go to 19, let's say 1950. In 1950, you could say that that was white identity politics in some sense, because whites were the majority. And mm-hmm. if people thought of the United States, they would think of white people. Mm-hmm. And maybe that even held in 1975. But what could happen and why I, I don't, my concern is if we're going to have a functional multiracial society, every side either has to give that up or expect it from the other side. And it makes sense that. Expect, sorry, what from the other side? Expect racial identity politics. I mean, Mm -hmm. when when you get in a society that's going to be, okay, whites are going to be the minority in the population by 2040, 2045, something right around there. We'll we'll see if we get there, but sure. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see if that happens. But like the the current trajectory says so. And if we we all live to that point, Mm -hmm. so it makes sense to me and this may be where you would disagree with me about this, about, I guess, a certain facet of human nature, but it makes sense to me that white people are anxious about that. And I I don't even think that's morally reprehensible. I, I, I find it odd. So I've listened to um, Vox and Ezra Klein show, and I, I really like both of them. The, the Ezra uh-huh. Klein show, he has a couple of these podcasts about, how whites are just terrified of becoming the minority. And there's almost this derision about it. And it's like, yeah, they are. And I think we should attempt to understand that. And I don't think there's anything morally wrong with that. I don't think Japanese. I think it's it's complicated. Okay. Right. I think there can be ways in which that could be morally wrong. And there are ways in which, but I think it's, it's, it's possible for it to be the truth, both that, we should be sympathetic and understanding of people's fears while mm-hmm. not letting those fears drive immoral policies or behaviors. Agree. Agree. Right. So agree. I, I don't, I, I don't, I mean, you can understand why here's another problem in all of this, right? I think you experience a lot of animosity on the left. Um, mm-hmm. And and because you, I think, view the world as being better than they view it as being, you see that animosity yeah. as overblown, where for a lot of these people, they're living in a society that is currently regressing, where they feel like their rights could be put at risk. Women could be, you know, facing pull, you know, um, a repeal of Roe v. Wade or something like that. And that, like, their animosity is coming from a very legitimate place, too. And I feel like a lot of the time everyone wants to say we have to be sympathetic to the animosity on the right. But 
but uh, the animosity on the left is so overblown. Okay, that, no, I that's a fair, that's a perfectly fair point, and I don't disagree with that at all. I think that um, if there are real, I see, but I think your example is a is is a good, it's a good example of overblown rhetoric on the left. So let's take the 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 society and women. I think it is very hard, very hard to argue that our society is misogynistic. I, I just don't see the evidence. We for just it. elected now, a president who said, "I grab her by the pussy." Okay, right, but you you agree with me, right? That most people wouldn't defend that claim. No, I there, don't. I actually really don't really? now. I'm genuinely concerned that there's a majority, especially of men, who would defend that okay. claim as locker room talk. Okay, well, okay, so they voted I'm not, for Trump. I'm very concerned. Like, I, I don't, I don't know how you can dismiss this as like there, there's incredible evidence that we are like right now in our country. There are people openly debating: could a woman successfully get elected president in this country? Like, there okay, are people but, but, who are hedging because of that. Yes, but most of the people. Okay, the evidence, and I'm happy to send you links afterward. The evidence suggests that in fact, women candidates have a slight advantage, and Democrats know this. Lots of there's lots of evidence for depends that. Depends on the area, depends on the circumstances. There's a lot of factors in play there. I mean, I don't think well, that it's unrealistic that like there it, it is a you know like I think it's a risk worth taking. I think we need a woman a woman to be president badly, but like uh-huh. I, I do understand. I do genuinely believe that there are people out there who who believe that they love women, right? Who respect mm-hmm. women, who think that women are great, who do not mm-hmm. think that a woman can be president. Do you mean they don't think a woman can be president because she's not competent enough or because she's not electable? Uh, Both. Some some think that she's not competent enough and some think that she's not electable. And I, I think that I they're reinforced in these views sometimes by things like group differences, like saying, you know, women are less aggressive and therefore that's why they shouldn't be CEOs. That same logic carries over for presidents. OK, but okay, yes, women are less physically aggressive. That's a fact. Now, the question is, does that matter? And if somebody made that claim to me, I would say that's preposterous. If I heard a conservative say women shouldn't be CEOs because they're less physically aggressive by nature or something. I would think that that was one of the more absurd things I'd heard. But I mean, in the James Damore memo, he argues that women do less well in in certain certain jobs because they're less aggressive. Okay, but but the Damore memo, I think, was a very judiciously worded document. Oh, I don't disagree, but he makes the exact claim you're saying is absurd. No, because... Most of the most of what he talks about is that women have a preference for working with other people, and that they're higher in neuroticism, and that and they're less the, competitive and aggressive. Yes, that they're le- there's less competitive. But his argument was about he wasn't saying we shouldn't let them in. There, there's an okay, but you agree that it's important to separate two claims. One okay, absolutely. Claim, I'm just I'm just saying that like. It seems to me sometimes y'all are willing to pull on population differences to explain things, and other times you act like pulling on population differences to explain things like this is absurd. But, like, lots of people buy what you're selling and then carry it over into a lot of these other spheres, and it's not clear to me that you're you're conveying to them well enough that there's a substantial difference here. I'm not sure. I'm not even understanding the difference in this particular example. Here's the difference. There's a huge difference between saying, 
look, why is there a disparity in the world? So why are there, why do more male firefighters die than female firefighters, for example, per capita? Okay, we could explain that. If I then said, if I said something else, if I said, we shouldn't have women firefighters because of X, that's a totally different statement. Sure. That's a, okay, so that's what I'm saying. It's like, Demore wasn't saying we shouldn't allow women in because X, Y, or Z. He was saying, we the 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 likely reason there's a disparity in the field is because of this. Now, if yeah. yours, okay, and, and, so that, and also I just want to say, but he does follow up with the policy conclusions that we shouldn't be doing a variety of things to try to change this uh, be, because those aren't going to be effective because of the correct. differences in, in individuals' nature. Correct. He rejects the malleability stuff. Yes, I agree with that, and I I happen I tend to agree with him, but I think it's important to be clear Wait, about. Wait, you tend to agree a, that that it is unchangeable, and we shouldn't try to change it. It it's not un. I mean, it depends on what we mean by unchangeable, right? So maybe let's get back to that in a second because I actually I, I like this. I like this point. So I think like so the question we're we're debating is is society sexist, right? Because what you're saying is. I'm being excessively charitable in some sense, I believe is what you're saying, to the animosity of white people who are, you know, they're concerned that they're becoming the minority. And I'm not as understanding of the legitimate anger and fear on the left. And one example you gave was sexism. And what I'm I'm suggesting is this, we need to have an empirical discussion about is society actually sexist? Because if it's not, mm-hmm. if it if it's not sexist and racist, I think that it's it's not particularly healthful. Right. It's not serious to constantly criticize society for being sexist and racist. I now, agree. If we, okay. So if we focus on sexist, I've tried to do this before, and I've broken it into four categories that we could look at to determine how sexist society is. We could look at outcomes. Mm-hmm. We can look at norms. We can look at explicit laws and we can look at attitudes towards the sexes. Great. Okay. Which one do you want to start with? Let's look at if we look at attitudes. Okay. It, the the evidence is pretty clear that attitudes favor women. Most people I disagree. like women. Okay. What literature do you have to support your claim? Well, I mean, it depends on what kind of attitude we're talking about, right? Women are viewed as being positive in some ways and and mm-hmm. lesser in other ways. Right. There's not there's not a universal positive negative spectrum with regard oh, no, to these groups. There's, there's, right. There's a lot of complexity to. Sure. Right. And this is something that you and I've got talked about on Twitter before, where like you can have a society that puts women up on the highest of pedestals and is still misogynistic. Okay. Yes. Right? Yeah, I disagree. With, I think that claim is just hard to hard to maintain. I don't think – I mean I think history is full of societies that put women up on pedestals and oppress the hell out of them. Yes, but surely that would show in the patronizing attitudes of the individuals, right? No, I mean, like take Islam for example, right? Women right. are viewed as sacred. Women are treated, you know, viewed as very important things, and that's yeah. why they are covered up by some people. Like, but if, you, if you ask a man, it depends on which Islamic society we're talking about. Of obviously, but, if, but I'm saying there are versions of that in Islam. Sure. Right, there are but versions of this in Christianity. Right, in almost every religion, you find some version of women are incredibly important for reproductive reasons, so we're going to treat right. them as sacred, and we're going to lock them up. Yeah. Okay, I, I agree. <laughs> I mean, the lock them up part, I'm not sure about in Christianity, but I agree with all of oh, the God. other. 
Okay, maybe, but here's the here's the thing. If you asked a male, what do you think about women's capacity to reason? It's not as if Paul would tell you women are equally as smart as men. You would see in their attitudes that they would be dismissive and patronizing toward women while maintaining that they're like these sacred vessels of the next generation. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying. Okay. So when men in our society say that women, the reason that women are underrepresented in the STEM fields is that they are just Mm -hmm. not as good at a variety of things that are essential for being in the STEM fields. Uh Is that misogynistic? No, I think that's the, I think that that's a like a, an invidious way of framing what he wrote there. I, I, I mean, it, it, I'm not saying Demore wrote that. I'm saying there are people oh, out yeah. there. There are, there are a substantial number of individuals, some sure. of them tenured professors at universities, who make this exact argument. I haven't encountered any of those. I from think Lawrence Tribe was probably one. Or not, um, uh, is it? Uh, who's the guy? Uh, Harvard Dean. Um, Oh, Lawrence Summers? Lawrence Summers, yeah, the Lawrence Summers, basically. I think that's a very unfair characterization of what he said. He carefully went through four specific hypotheses for the disparity, and one of them was the variance hypothesis. The variance hypothesis suggests that there's more variance at the right end of the tail for men than for, well, on both sides, actually, on both sides for men than women. So what you see is like, in the exact in the extremes of talent, you might find more men there, but you also find more men in the extremes of like, for lack of a better term, stupidity. <laughs> right, but that's also that could be a feature that's an artifact of women being largely prevented from excelling in a variety of fields for much of human history. Well, that's fair. We can have a conversation about that, but I think it's important to be charitable to what Summers said. Summers okay. didn't say. Men are just better than women at X. I agree with you, by the way. That there uh, he is, are... though, effectively saying the best men are better than the best women at X. Like, uh, yeah, he, he uh, might yeah, think that that is X. factually true, but he, that is what he is saying. Oh, no, no, I agree with that. He is ultimately <laughs> saying that the best men are better at X than the best women. In the same way, I'm sure nobody would have a problem with my saying the best male basketball players are better than the best female basketball players. Right. I mean, that's just a fact about the world. We I don't think it makes a lot of sense to maintain that. My but, position but I think is there you're jumping from a, a, a much more biologically driven thing than one that is much more likely to be impacted by culture. And even there, like the issues of like the, the reason I keep wanting to, to sort of put sports aside is that the history of gendered sports is one of women being prevented from excelling because they were expected to be feminine in their behavior like okay but you agree that like men are just taller than women that's just a fact i agree that we have bred men to be taller over the course of human history but there's nothing essential that would prevent you know like like here's what i'm saying if we as a culture stopped for example you know Mm -hmm. valuing shorter women and taller men I think the heights would change. I, it, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's hard to separate out the impact of the society on these phenotypes. Okay, so let's set that aside for a second and go to that. Just ma- let me make my point on okay. the attitude. Then. I would agree. I agree with you that there are some misogynistic males in the world. I've known them. <laughs> I, I, I'm not saying there aren't any. There are... You can explicitly say uh, uh, most of the research, the most recent research 
suggests that people think women in, in many categories are better than men. They, they either think that men and women are equal or that women are better. In, in some I've, categories, certainly. Yeah, in some categories, competence, intelligence, warmth, caring, etc. I've found this in my own research. Other people have found it. It's a pretty common finding. People generally prefer and think women are nicer in many ways than men, etc. Now, I, you have you asked gamers about whether women are equally good at video games? I, I have no, yeah, I have nothing. I I, I know nothing about gamers. <laughs> you do, you, this is this is my, this is a little bit of a genuine concern here. Is that you say there are some misogynists, but I think you get the you give the impression that there aren't as many as the left thinks. I don't think yeah. you've spent enough time hanging around the people I've like I've interacted with and I think the part of the reason is you don't because of your particular position and perspectives mm-hmm. and things you're not the mm-hmm. one suffering constant harassment from men right there are well, a lot I mean, of women who who will tell you a story about living in yeah, good sorry well it's not as if I I live in a world of men I know lots of women and here's what's interesting to me The women who have an ideology that suggests that women are oppressed tell me all kinds of stories about oppression. The ones who don't, don't. That's not a very good data point, though. I mean... Well, I agree. It's not. That's why I'm saying what we have to do is look at the empirical evidence, right? We can't... And the empirical evidence seems to suggest there's a variety of points at which women are oppressed in a variety of ways in our society still. Such as? Uh, Such as that... Uh, they are dissuaded from entering fields in certain situations, uh, such that there are uh, a variety of social expectations that play on them that do not play on men that affect their outcomes. Um, you know, sure. Let's start with the first one. They're dissuaded from joining some fields. It, that probably is true still. I'd have to look. I know at the for data. a fact it's true because I have specific okay. concrete stories of it happening. Okay, but but I don't care. Stories aren't very helpful on such an issue. You would agree because sure, we all have stories, right? And we our stories tend to match our ideologies. So I, I have to look at the data. No, and I, I mean I'm, what I'm saying is I don't I don't have all of the numbers in front of me on this particular sure, sure. topic, but I'm I'm pretty confident that I can point mm-hmm. to a variety of metrics that show that you know women. Uh, are at greater risk for domestic violence, for example, right? And that... That's not true. Men, I think that... Yeah, oh, it absolutely is true. It's just worse for women, obviously. That's what greater risk means. Oh, right, yes. No, I agree with that, absolutely. And and outside of prison, they're at higher risk for being raped, absolutely. There are things in the world that are unfair to women. You'll get no argument from me. They have to get pregnant if they so choose, and that would be awful. <laughs> I don't want to participate in that. I, yeah. I, I I agree with you on that. But if you look at a variety of outcomes that we can quantify, women do better than men in Western society, right? Now, How about in terms you, of net wealth? No, men do better. Absolutely. How much better? I, I don't know. I don't have the I number. I it's like orders of magnitude better. And these are, this is my point is that like, yes, there, women do better on the metric of people think that women are nicer. Men no, do no, better no. on the metric of holding power. Yes, I agree with that. But I, so this is where we would, okay. So women also do better on many metrics. They live longer. They report being equally or more happy than males. They're equally and or more educated in, in Western societies, etc. So if you if you put together like a sort of quality of life composite, 
people such as Geary have argued, that's the best way to measure it, because if we're utilitarians, that is what we ought to care, care about. Uh-huh. In a variety of Western societies, women have better outcomes than men. Okay, I realize there's a problem here, and it's my fault. Uh, this is this is a badly. I think it's a bad way to frame the question: Is our society misogynistic? Is asking who has better outcomes, men or women, in the sense that I think a society can be misogynistic and harm women, and also while being a patriarchy, harm men in a variety of well, ways. I agree with you. Right. So I I don't think you can really show it's not like a zero sum game where like if men are being harmed more than women, it doesn't mean that women aren't being harmed. No, I agree with that. I completely agree. I'm I'm saying that's one of the things that I would include. I would include outcomes, attitudes, norms and laws. And if you look at outcomes, I think it's at least at best, you could say maybe the outcomes break even. I think they probably favor women in a variety of ways, but we can debate about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that they are really harmful to women in some ways and harmful to men in sure. other ways. And I that still makes that. it a misogynistic society as well as being harmful um, but, but, to men. Yeah, this this is what perplexes me about that view. So I agree with you. I don't think we'd actually disagree about certain specific things. But when when we say society is misogynistic, then I get perplexed because I feel as though we inhabit a society that goes out of its way to favor women. And in fact, it accepts direct and obvious uh, anti-male sexism. You can say things about men in the mainstream media, for example, that you could never say about women. It accepts the fact that- Like what, for example? uh, I'll give you multiple examples, but like, one that sticks out to me is how you always you have these articles. Vox had a couple headlines like this: "White male peers." This is what white male anger looks like. What if you wrote stories, "Black female anger"? This is what it looks like, and you were mocking it. I see those you stories know. a lot on the right. I mean, like I see nothing more from the right than pictures of of women crying and like this is what you look like kinds of memes. What what I see maybe we are participating in a different right world. <laughs> I, I just well, I mean I think the reality is you don't get confronted by the right so you don't interact with them very much. No, so you I, have a I, particularly what? rosy view of the right. <laughs> I mean, I I listen. I, I read the the National Review every day. I the National the Review is not the right at this point, though. Like they have been excommunicated. They are they are in, you know in exile. Like, okay, what do you mean by the right? Then? By the right, I mean the majority that are likely to like might reelect Donald Trump. Like, oh, no, no. But what media outlets do you mean? Fox News, which is incredibly right wing and is full of this okay. crap. I, I do have to say I don't pay a lot of attention to television news or Fox News at all. Okay, so Infowars, um, Daily Caller, um, you know, I don't like Infowars either. That, I consider that just crazy. <laughs> but but I mean like Ben Shapiro. Ben Shapiro talks this way all the time. I have not heard or read like a particularly misogynistic statement or tweet from Ben Shapiro. So you'd I, you'd have to draw my attention to it. I mean, Ben adheres to a particularly orthodox religious yes. group that has yes. particularly regressive views about women. I, oh, I, okay. I feel like it wouldn't be that hard for me to find some sort of arguments along those lines. 
he certainly has been very, very negative towards feminism and very, very negative towards modern conceptions of womanhood that don't fit the traditional roles. That's probably true. And I definitely accept that he's been very critical of feminism. But here's a question. So I was just thinking about this when we were talking. I think you were going to bring up abortion Mm -hmm. law. So -hmm. so one one problem is like I've had this discussion with other people, too, is like, how do we so if you look at the breakdown in support for um, pro-choice, pro-life in the United States, it's Mm -hmm. basically the same among men and women. And so is it misogynistic to to oppose abortion? I mean, yes, it is. But it's a a harder it's a harder case to make than just more women are against something. Therefore, it's misogynistic. No, I don't disagree with that. But I guess I'm saying like. I I think one can be against abortion without being misogynistic. Now, I'm personally pro-choice, but I sympathize with anti-abortion advocacy, and I don't see that it's misogynistic. I think you can be against abortion without being the kind of explicit I hate women misogynist, but okay. you can be the kind of individual who thinks women shouldn't have complete control and let's let, let's move away let's let's shift just slightly here right so instead of talking about abortion let's talk about birth control okay because okay. you said you believe that men and women are equal under the law right yes do you have any uh procedures that you would have to get approval from your wife before you got that procedure Uh, Not to my knowledge. No, but women do. Women have specific procedures with regard to things like getting IUDs put in where some people want to make it. And in in the case, it is it is illegal for them to do it unless they are married and have the approval of their spouse. What is this? Uh, I need to look at the specific states, but it's especially with things like getting your tubes tied, getting a vasectomy, whatever. Um, But we were talking about IUD. I I don't know the specific laws about various surgeries i'd be shocked if that were true uh, the iud i i don't think that i'm not sure true. if it's specifically the iud it's certain okay. kinds of long-term birth control um I think here we go spousal veto over family planning um let's give the specific states I'm not seeing the specific I, states I here i can't imagine a law like that would possibly hold muster <laughs> oh i mean there absolutely are laws on the books right now, I believe I'm 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 just trying to find the the confirm, confirmation here, but uh, specific, specifically with tubal um, ligation, where you get your tubes tied. Um, okay, I, I just I just find that absolute. I mean, if it's true, I'm, yeah. I, I I would consider it a very bad law. People and getting, I would, yeah, I mean, I agree with you that it's a bad law, but your claim was we, women uh, and men are equal under the law, and that's false. Yeah, if this is the case, correct? It's, Here we go. Uh, Jay Levine, a 34-year-old in California, has tried to get her tubes tied three times over the course of 15 years. She still hasn't been successful. So this is California. Okay. Um, What's the law? Because, I mean, I've never heard of that. That's perplexing to me. People who want their tubes tied can be denied the procedure for a multitude of reasons at various stages of their lives because they're too young, childless, only have one child, or are not married, or are married in some uh, married to someone with a risky job. Okay, but th- those are okay. So, but let's be clear that those are different. <laughs> There's a difference between those things and the husband vetoed it. I mean, literally, they can't do it unless they have a husband there. And there are cases where if the husband doesn't give approval, the person can't get the procedure done. I mean, I 
Okay, so I, I I'd have to read into this. I I don't I've never heard anything like that, and I find it incredibly hard to believe. However, if it is true, I would accept that yes, in whatever state that holds, then yes, there are there are disparities in the law between men and women, and I would strongly oppose that. Here's one. Uh, this okay. is in North Carolina. Aaron Thompson, who had one child and wanted her husband uh, with her husband when she was 20. She said, they told me I need to see a psychologist to get cleared and I have to write a two page paper defending my need for this surgery. Well, OK, but I, I think there are I don't know that exact case. So it's hard. I'm looking at Snopes, which. And let me just that- follow up here. Her husband then went to the doctor and got a vasectomy and it was completed uh-huh. within a week. Oh, okay. So I, I think we, that's, this is a, a thing that I'd have to read the literature more carefully. I don't want to make a, a rash comment about it, but let me agree with you. Again, I, I will agree that if you found cases like this in a number of states, if that were true, I would say that, yes, that's inequality under the law. And I would, I would oppose those, those laws strongly. Okay. I I looked at the I don't Snopes. think that you're a misogynist. I just want to make well, clear no, this is why people think that this is a misogynistic society that we live right, in right now. I, I think what's unfortunate is that people are motivated to exaggerate oppression. I just think that's a fact. Now, I, I, people are motivated. I, I think that there's a narrative that people are motivated to exaggerate uh, oppression, you know, which people use to under to, to not spend enough time getting this information, right? Well, like, I don't disagree with that, too. I think that we should... Uh, To be clear, I think what we should do is carefully confront the empirical literature and go over it. And then if there's clear evidence that society is misogynistic, we should say that without apology. And if there's not, then we should say that as well. So it seems like we're agreeing. So what were your four things again? Laws, norms. I had laws, norms, attitudes, and outcomes. Okay. So we agree, it seems like, that on some levels— attitudes are misogynistic um that on some level if these laws are as i say they are and i think there are other laws that are similar in the ways that they treat men and women differently that that is misogynistic Mm -hmm. under the laws um Mm -hmm. i think you can argue that there are still misogynistic norms that are very prevalent in this country what was the last one sorry i lost it uh outcomes outcomes and yeah we've already talked about a variety of outcomes in which i think women suffer as a result of being women Okay, but I feel as though that's a tendentious recap of this. So we would have to go over each at a time, and maybe I'd like to move to immigration at some point. Okay. I hope. Yeah, let's talk about immigration. Some you're right. We haven't talked about that at all. And okay, uh, can I go through my list really quickly before sure. doing? That? Yeah, okay. absolutely. Okay, so what I would say is, so, so that's your recap. My recap would look more like this. I think outcomes. You could argue that they favor women, but. If anything, they're equal. It'd be hard to argue. Now, again, that doesn't mean there aren't specific outcomes that favor men. It just means in total. Attitudes, I think, actually favor women reasonably strongly, although, again, there are some where it doesn't. Norms, it's more complicated, I think. I, I might even be willing to say slightly favor men. And then laws, Again, I need to get into the literature on that. I looked at Snopes, and Snopes seems to think that that's not true and was suggesting that those stories were overblown. But I'd have to look at that carefully. So I would say mixed bag more than you would, I suppose. But, okay, that's fair. And and what we would do, and you agree with this, right, is that 
the best way to handle this is just to further look at the empirical evidence and have a healthy debate about it, right? Yeah, uh, an empirical and a moral debate about – I mean, sure, yeah. we've already concluded the moral side of this in that you agree that society yeah. should try to improve outcomes for everyone, right? Absolutely. And if certain people's outcomes or norms are, are worse, then they we should yes. focus on those things. Uh, okay, but it does depend – I mean, we have to – okay, so maybe we can we can get into this when we get into immigration, but I think the important thing is, yes, but we have to – there are there are trade-offs everywhere, right? Sure, so like, absolutely. Yeah, okay, okay. That's the only thing I teach my ethics students is no matter what you want to do, there are trade-offs. Okay, see, I'm, I'm exactly right. And I think it's really important to start just by saying, look, there are trade-offs and we have to figure this out. And it's usually it's pretty complicated. Yeah, and I totally concede that my position okay. is I'm willing to risk certain harms of social progress sure. for the sake of the benefits rather than take the conservative approach. Yes, okay, mm -hmm. great. Okay. So you want to talk about immigration some. So yeah. you seem to be pro-nationalism in a way that is very confusing to me because I don't – that seems like identity politics to me. So I'm yeah. confused. Well, it, it is, but it's not – okay. So again, like, to, let's be clear about identity politics. I'm not opposed in principle to identity politics. So I would have been in the civil rights movement, at least I hope. If you transplanted me there, I would have been. I believe in, in moral luck, so I probably wouldn't have been one of the monsters who was clubbing them or something. Right. You would have been George Wallace. Probably. I really, yeah. Okay. <laughs> what am I atoning for in my social justice life? Yeah, fair enough. But like, let's assume you transplanted me as I am now into 1960. I would have been in the civil rights movement and I would have favored um, black identity politics at the time. So I'm not opposed uh, in principle to identity politics. I think they can be useful and necessary, but they can also be divisive. So what I would, my identity, my nationalism, as I see it, is actually opposed to identity politics, because I think within the nation, we should value the nation more than any particular individual or individual identity. That sounded very illiberal. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got very communist for a second there. Go yeah, ahead. Fascistic for a second, so yeah, a little bit. Uh, that's not actually what I, I guess. What I mean is, there's a place for individuals and individual identity and identity groups, but I do like the notion that you can have a nation that binds and solders those together in a way that I think is healthy. It binds them to a sort of superordinate identity. I guess that's what I would say, and so. I don't see that as identity politics. I will frankly admit that my immigration policy would end up being probably identity based. Yes. Okay. Well, let me just first say, I mean, from the evolution of the state perspective, I think that mm -hmm. the purpose of the state as a social contract kind of person is to to enforce the social contract and that that often can take the form of certain kinds of um, cultural, not uniformity, but like expectations that a culture you know asserts on all of the individuals and that that can sometimes be a good thing though it can run risks obviously it can go awry um so i'm not i'm not opposed to that particular idea um okay. i think you know i get nervous about it reifying differences that don't exist between people yeah yeah i do too i do too okay so so what is your immigration perspective then that uh, trend treads more towards identity politics. 
Well, well, I think what happened, if I remember correctly, when we started discussing on Twitter, mm-hmm. it, the discussion was about, and this is, I, I will say, and again, I mean, I'm, I'm used to, I don't want to sound like I'm whining about this. I'm pretty used to it, but I was a, a little befuddled by the way people interpreted this tweet in which I talked about designing an algorithm that would pick best immigrants. And my argument was, if you did this, and if it happened to pick 85% European, I'm okay with that. I wouldn't have a problem with that. Whereas You wouldn't, you wouldn't be concerned about the way that algorithm, algorithm yeah. had been programmed? Yes, but that's a separate question. And that's what people glommed on to. And for the hypothetical, I was saying, let's just assume this really is the best algorithm. <laughs> so so, so what, yeah, you really, sure. what you really mean to say is, let's assume that white people are better immigrants? No, let's be clear that let's assume Europeans are better immigrants to a predominantly European cultured country. Okay. Yeah. I do think that that's likely true. Okay. Based on what? Based on cultural affinity, based on also, and this is maybe a more controversial point. And I I, I also, I, I should just say I'm, I'm, I'm not exactly sure how I feel about this, but yeah. I'm not even sure it would be problematic for a country to have specific demographic preferences on immigration. I'm not sure why that is ipso facto evil or racist. So that would be my boldest claim. But let's let's ignore that one just for a moment and say, if I'm I'm concerned about the quality of the immigrants for assimilation, etc. Yeah, I think it's likely that European. I know people have argued against this, and so if it's true that I'm wrong, then fine. But I think it's likely the case that European immigrants would likely assimilate better and be better immigrants from our point of view. So this is the first point here, I think. Right? You're, you're talking about best immigrants, and then you talked about assimilating best. But assimilating yes. best is not the only metric for good immigrants, sure. and it's a comp- it's a problematic metric because what you mean by assimilation is not clear. Yeah, that's that's fair, and, and that would be that's one of those things that's like very difficult to to define. But we could operationalize it in various ways. Well, what right? do you have in mind when you think of assimilate of good assimilation? Um, so I have in mind the way that say Irish people in the United States are viewed as people in the United States rather than Irish people. And they don't pursue what they view as their own shallow interest anymore. Really? You don't think there are, co- there are communities of Irish individuals sure. who identify very strongly as Irish and promote Irish sure. interests? Sure, but we're, yeah, sure, there are. But we don't have, uh, there aren't national disputes about how many Irish people we have in Congress, so far as I know. But that could be a result of other factors having to do with the way that society views certain immigrant groups versus other immigrant groups, totally separate from how integrated those groups have become. Yeah. Right? Let's, suppose, let's suppose that I accept that. I think society's perceptions matter here, too. And I think this is what we were disagreeing about, because what I was saying is, if demographic diversity seems to cause contentiousness and fractiousness, then we should be careful about it. And I think that's what you were object, because what your claim is, is we should attempt to change their opinions and the way they deal with demographic diversity. Right. I mean, 
yeah, it seems to me that like just like people, you know, just like um, sexual diversity, right, makes mm-hmm. a lot of people very anxious. It doesn't yep. mean that we should then not allow gay people to immigrate. Sure. Right. 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 Okay. That's the extra. I, I think that's not like the steel man version of my. Well, position. but I'm, I'm just sort of uh, right. I'm giving an, an uncontroversial okay, example, right? right? Yeah. One that we would both agree on. Okay. But like, agree. what about okay, Chinatown, for example? I lived, in, you know, near New York City, and like, mm-hmm. I go to Chinatown to get great Chinese food. Right. Sh- should we be telling Chinatown to break it up and move along? Like, yeah. So that's an, it's an interesting example, and you can think of lots of examples that are similar to that. I think one reason that. Chinatowns in San Francisco, New York, et cetera, don't cause consternation is because Northeast Asians right now are a very small subset of the population. And there there aren't there isn't a lot of clamoring for more Northeastern Asian representation in government and in society more broadly. There just doesn't seem to be an activated sense of competition among the dominant European group and or black and Hispanic groups and Northeast Asians. So I think it it, it ends up it's more innocuous. The smaller the number, but that may of the be the problem. result of the model Asian kind of problem. That like they're they're considered the oh. model race, right? In in the sense of like they're a different race, but they're good in various ways, and so they don't. I mean, this is part of my concern: is we don't seem mm-hmm. to ask for as much assimilation from these communities as we seem to demand of uh, Middle Eastern individuals who you know immigrate to our society, or people from South America who immigrate to our society. Okay, so the Middle Eastern one is interesting. I'll take that separately. The I think the difference between the Hispanic, though, and the Northeast Asian makes a lot of sense because there aren't as many Northeast Asians. So population proportion matters. People get more uncomfortable the larger the proportion. So, for example, if we became 60, if if we transformed overnight, 60 percent Northeast Asian all of a sudden, I think you would see a lot of concern and care and people would be alarmed by that. I mean, if you saw suddenly like a radical shift, I think there is some evidence that like you need to like do this in a staggered kind of way. But that's getting into sort of a a practical concern rather than like what seems to be your ethical claim that there's nothing ethically wrong about just preferring more white people. Well, okay, that's a I'm not sure that I would put it that nakedly, I guess, like. It's, I said that's, it, that's a complicated view. So I don't think there's – here's what I think ethically. I don't think it's ethically bad for a particular group of people to care about the fact that their numbers are dwindling in a nation. I, I think that, that it, it makes a lot of sense to me. If Japan started uh, – if J- Japanese people in Japan became 60% of the population over a period of 50 years – I would totally expect and understand demographic concerns from those Japanese people. Now, yeah, I'm I would not... just think that we should meet those demographic concerns. Like, and this comes back to how it's being done, right? If you're okay. if you're oppressing the Japanese by enforcing people on them, that's a different conversation than if just sure. natural demographic trends, which is largely what's okay. happened in America. But some people would view it as forced. A lot of, I mean, I think it is. I think it would be accurate to say 
that a lot of what happened with immigration policy happened without the input of most humans because both both most citizens in the United States because both parties essentially agreed to keep it off of the debate table until say 2005 2006 or something well, I mean, technically, George W. Bush tried and was was rebuffed by his own party because he was sure. trying to do something somewhat moderate. Yeah, well, we can we can, but look at the look at the immigration numbers through Reagan, through Bush, and through Clinton, and then through Bush. I mean, the numbers slowed down significantly during. Um, they really slowed down during, as I recall. I'd have to look at these figures exactly, but. There is a lot of immigration and a lot of illegal immigration that was essentially tacitly accepted by people in our society and not by the population. I think that's exactly why you opened a window for a provocateur like Trump is because there were a lot of people who were pissed off and nobody was really addressing the restrictionist position very well. Nobody was there wasn't a, a, an option for the restrictionist to go to. I mean, my understanding of the history of the southern border is it, mm -hmm. it was more of an open border up until mm -hmm. the conservatives decided to try to lock it down and talk a lot more about illegal immigration, specifically as a way to animate white voters. That, like, this was okay. a very, very deliberate tactic to create a boogeyman that would be used to, to rally votes. So, I mean, there's a lot of evidence of that process. That seems like a pretty like that's a to me that seems like a tendentious account. I think both political parties basically removed immigration from the political sphere of debate for so, I mean, very you, different reasons though i mean look at look at Obama I, and the dreamers right Obama didn't move on fail to move on immigration because he didn't I, want to. It was because. Uh, there was no one who would talk to him on the right about this conversation. Totally agree with that. That, that. That's that's but that's past when I would set the the sort of elite party consensus. I think it broke down by the time you get to Clinton, Obama. Clinton, it, Clinton was a triangulating prick who like moved to the middle on as many things as he could to try to win over conservative support and ended up, you know, causing a lot of harm to the social welfare state as a result. So like the part okay. the, the the locus of the problem here appears to be the kind of racial identity stuff that you seem to be saying is kind of understandable. Well, OK, but. but... I guess it's important to uh, what's important to me is that there if we had had Democratic, I, I think, look, like big business liked the illegal immigration. And therefore, I think Republicans were probably more OK with that than they otherwise would have been. And in fact, they probably did a pretty good job of trying to keep it off of the table Whereas some of their base and people like Ann Coulter were very irritated about it and were trying to get somebody to talk about it. So I don't I don't read it as like a, an overt Republican strategy to create an, an other and then demonize it. I don't think that that's I, mean, I think there's some evidence of that. Uh, I think there are specific people who are actively trying to do that. You can look at specific commercials where oh, sure. uh, you I'm know not... immigrants are, are portrayed as dangerous. I mean, like Donald Trump started off his campaign by saying that immigrants are rapists. Like this is not up for debate, in my opinion. No, no, no. But that's okay. But that's not my point. Okay. I agree. I agree with you now. 
I, I'm I'm trying to look at the history from say 1980 to say 2004 or something. I agree with you that now there are a number of candidates who use it for inflammatory purposes and to stoke up fear in their base to get people out to vote. I agree with that, and I don't like that, and that's why I think you can see this causes problems when you don't address it earlier. So. But what do you mean by addressing? Because I do think that, like, there's a lot of work being done trying to explain, you know, immigrants don't actually cause the harms that people think they do. It just doesn't uh-huh. break through to the individuals who are being told repeatedly that, in, you know, that immigrants are incredibly dangerous, that, like, it's just easier to whip up fear than it is to yeah. educate people on the realities of something as complicated as immigration. No, I, I think that that's probably true. And, and so it's a complicated issue, of course. Um but there is a lot of evidence from all of, I mean, all of world history gives us evidence that you there's generally when ethnic groups live together, it can be contentious and fractious and that we have to be careful about it. And I don't like racial or ethnic or whatever you want to call it. I don't particularly care about the nomenclature. I don't like that kind of tension. I think it's bad for both groups. It's bad. It's dangerous to Hispanic immigrants for it to be at this level where you can get people demagoguing it. That very much troubles me, right? So I don't like it for either group. And I think we have to start from a position of accepting, and this is where we get into the human nature. I think we have to accept human nature and deal with it. We can try to change it, of course, and we have. We have people are much more cosmopolitan now than they were. 100 years ago. But we have to accept that a lot of people are never going to be cosmopolitan in the way that some other people are. And I think we need to try to, I don't want to say cater to them, but we need to adjust our situation to balance both interests. But when the interests are really genuinely ethically opposed, right? Do you side with the individuals who are factually correct and and less frightened, or do you? you, I mean, like factually correct in the sense of I think there's pretty overwhelming evidence that immigration doesn't cause a lot of the harms that people tend to blame on immigrants. Um, I I agree with that. I think that it probably doesn't cause certain kinds of harms that people attribute to it. I think it causes it, it. it depends on what immigrants you're getting to, of course, right? Uh-huh. But it is the case that it probably reduces wages, or it's it's arguable. George Borjas has would argue that it does. Other people would debate it. But it's at least arguable that it potentially reduces wages for low-skilled workers, and that follows a pretty clear supply and demand economic model. And it also causes it 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 can cause a breakdown in cultural cohesion because if you've ever been in a neighborhood that changes rapidly and the culture changes it's it's, it's distressing to people and i think that's understandable i understand why people are distressed when their culture changes i understand why people are distressed just like i mean to me your argument the argument you're making is functionally identical to the argument against desegregation in the south and that's why I think, you know, that, that that it's ultimately a problematic argument is that it follows this same kind of form. Um, but, like, there's there's evidence to the contrary, right? For, for anyone who wants to argue that, like, 
uh, immigration reduces wages, you can make just as good an argument that illegal immigrants actually reduce wages more because by having this group of people in the country who are not under legal protections, that it is easier for businesses to take advantage mm -hmm. of them mm -hmm. than it would be for them to take advantage of normal citizens. So mm -hmm. like, unless you're really going to get rid of every single illegal immigrant, which we're not going to do in this country, having sure. strict illegal immigration laws is worse for rank and file employees. So like, like, my point overall here, and I guess we're running a little short on time, so I wanted to I mean, maybe, maybe come around to some wrapping up, concluding um, thoughts here some, is that, like, you and I have agreed on a lot of stuff over the course of this conversation, it seems like, um, mm -hmm. and it I get I get concerned about the difference in framing and who it is catering to, and I feel like I, I, if I wanted to... Right. Bring any bring about any change. And I think part of the genuine reason of discussion is to bring about change with the person you're engaging with and not just, you know, with people who might be listening or something is that like, I would love it so much more if you said, I am I am strongly for social progress. I recognize that it goes awry sometimes. But like the right is a substantial problem in our country at this particular moment. And even though the left is extreme sometimes, they are not the major concern that we are facing as a society. That seems like it's coherent with everything that you believe. And I just I'm curious why why not pick that framing over the like the reactionary centrist kind of framing other than that, like that, that framing, my lip, the one that I live is less popular in the sense that it doesn't stand out in a crowd quite as much because there are well, lots of people I, who hold that view. It would be more convenient for my career to hold that view. I honestly don't hold it, but I want to, I, I do want to work backward just for mm -hmm. a second. because You made a string of claims that I think it's important to uh, attempt to address them. So you said the argument is, not functionally different for the argument against desegregation. I think this is why I'm a Burkean, because I don't think like the structure of arguments often are the same, but might lead to bad or terrible oh, circumstances. But the, su the substance is functionally the same here, too. I'm sorry. You're right. I should have said not just okay. form, but the substance is okay. the same, right? Blacks okay. and whites can't coexist. I, well, no, but the substance is different because I, I don't... Blacks and white, different racial groups in the same country, I don't think you can justify segregation. But I don't think we have to have open borders. So I think we get to discriminate about who we let into the country to become a citizen. I think those are substantively different arguments. I think we have an ethical obligation to promote freedom of mobility as much as is functionally possible. So I, in that I sense, I would that. say... We have an ethical prima facie obligation towards open borders, and you'd have to present evidence that, like, okay. it's sufficiently defeated. Um, okay, so but, you, you would say, like, the default is open borders, and then we argue – like, we sort of have to argue against it, I suppose? If we're going to live in a nationalist world – I mean, my, part of my okay. broader question is why, why not just have a global identity instead of a nationalist identity? I, it's a, that's a very good question, and what I would say is I – if – if I thought that were possible, I would promote it. I just don't think that it's possible. I think everything about human history and human nature suggests to me that humans form splintered identity groups and battle against other identity groups for limited resources, especially for limited prestige, which they want. But the and history so, of humans has also been the move away from smaller groups towards larger yeah, groups of cohesion. Absolutely. 
100% agree with that. So the question is, how do, where do we stop? What's the best place to stop? I mean, is there a place? Do we eventually get to this? It's like universalism is the place to stop. Once, Once you realize that everyone is a member of your tribe, that's the goal, right? Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. So let me give you a different example. <laughs> I mean, it may not, but it is a goal that we could work towards and improve well, the world maybe, in the process. Maybe. but It's an pro- asymptote, so, but it's at least an, a goal. Okay. I mean, the problem with that is so like, this is where trying to change human – where trying to change human nature too much can be pernicious. So I'll give you – give the example of communism. So – uh, you know, like abstractly, it seems like a very morally persuasive worldview and a way to run a society. I mean, I'm not as enamored with it on paper as some people are, but I get the moral force of it. The problem is it conflicts so strongly with human nature that the only way to attempt to implement it is through tyranny, it appears, and that it was very ruinous to human well-being. And therefore, and that's actually a mixed bag, too, right? You could argue that the people who survived communism were much better off than the people who were at the beginning of the communist regimes. Yes, I think you could make a that would be a bold argument. I'm not a tanky, though. I'll just put that on the record. I'm not I'm I'm not pro either of the major communist regimes. I'm just saying that, like, if you measure actual increase of quality of life. Sure. You you could make that argument. And I think it clearly that. I think there there's a lot of evidence that Marshall's against that. But I think you could at least make that for a certain segment of the population. It's like, after all, Stalinist Russia did industrialize remarkably quickly, and it was very successful in a certain sense. And communist However, China is kicking our ass right now. <laughs> although, China, you know, communist China is not really communist anymore. I mean, I mean it's basically. communist enough that they have the, I mean, it's, the, it's got the authoritarian unified yes. power side that allows yeah, them to true. be more responsive to situations than our current yeah. government. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah, that's, that, that's fair. But I, I guess the point is, there is a, there, there comes a point where the moral ideal is actually immoral because it conflicts so much with human nature and the amount of suffering that it would sow in the world is intolerable and we should reject it. And I can think of a different example. So I'll use this one. So, so there, are, there are people who make the argument that preferring your family to strangers is a moral failure of humans. It's, it's a moral limitation. Right. And I just think that that's a bizarre argument because even if you want to make this argument that it's a moral failure, you're not going to get rid of it. And if you attempt to get rid of it, the result will be disastrous. Yeah, we and call so this the demandingness objection. What, what is it called? The, the demandingness objection. Well, if you make yeah, ethics yeah. too demanding, you're just going to not get yeah. any followers. Yeah, exactly. And as the utilitarians, of course, are concerned with this, right? Because if you're demanding the, the amount of utility you suck demanding this is more than the utility you would gain from whatever you accomplish, right? So you and I would both agree, I, I presume, that that can be a problem. The question right. just is when and where is it a problem, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And, and I think, yeah, I think that part of the difference is uh, I take a more malleable approach to human nature. I think that it, right. it, the evidence is that we've changed very rapidly as a species and could continue to do mm-hmm. so. Yeah. And that's interesting because I do think underlying this, and this is why I said in my piece that I wrote on conservatism, and I'm sure I'm certainly not the only person to say this, but the, the, 
the way to understand conservatism is to understand the concept of original sin, right? <laughs> like when you understand, that's a, that, 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 if I said that, I would feel like I was being uncharitable. So I'm curious how you get to say that. <laughs> okay, so that's interesting because the way I view it is the, the conservative, the intellectual conservative, at least as I see it, starts from the perspective of original sin. That is to say. Humans are limited, fallible, flawed creatures that can imagine paradise but are condemned to live in purgatory. They can't make it to paradise because of their own ineradicable limitations. Now, we might be able to eradicate them in the future, and possibly you and I can talk about that another time because that's an interesting conversation. But given the biological realities we have now, I don't think we can. And so I'm guessing that what distinguishes most of our views actually is just you think that you have a much less original sin view of humans than I do. Yeah, and I think to add to that, I mean, I generally agree with you. Um, but to also add to it, I think it's it goes back to our central debate question, which is how much should society lean into versus lean out of human nature, mm-hmm. right? I agree with you that human beings are incredibly tribal, and I don't have any assumptions that it's going to go away soon. The question mm-hmm. is, should we promote you know, tribal nationalism, or should we, you know, try to promote a universal humanist perspective and downplay tribal nationalism? Yeah, that's, I I think that that's a great question. And it's a great problem to wrestle with. And to be clear, and another reason I call myself a centrist is because I don't actually have strong views on these things. If, If you forwarded a lot of evidence that suggested promoting universal humanism, would bring about more well-being in the world, then I would become a universal humanist. I really would. I'm trying to the best of my limited abilities to gauge what I think is accurate about the world. And I would only put these in percentages. So I'd say Mm -hmm. like this position I hold with like 73% force or something, you know, like all of them could, all of these opinions could change, right? I totally accept that. And it's, it's, the world's a really complicated place, which is, This is why it's so crucial for people to have these discussions. And one thing, I think the thing that we, I think the thing you first said to me on Twitter was, who doesn't let you have these conversations? And let me say, I'm not just trying to flatter your ego. Although I can sense that you strongly disagree with me on a lot of things, this has been a very fair and charitable conversation. And that's not usual. (laughs) I don't think. Yeah, I want to jump in on this point a little bit, actually. Um, and then I want to come back to something about your framing with centrism and, and strength sure. of ideas, if I can remember to. But this, yeah, is, this is something that I'm putting, I put in the intro as well, but I'll say it here. Sure. I don't think that the majority of human beings have a moral obligation to debate the people they strongly disagree with. And okay, I that's- well, no, and I just want to say a lot of folks, because I am a pathological debater, because I mm-hmm. do this for my own pleasure um, – mm-hmm. Folks will then, at the end of those conversations, be like, oh, I love that you did this, and I wish that other people on the left would do this. I don't like being—and I'm not saying you're doing this. I'm just saying, for future reference, for people who are listening to this, I don't like being used that way as like a cudgel against people who, for very good reasons, do not want to debate the people on these topics. I think there are lots of legitimate reasons to not want to engage in these kinds of debates. And so that's just my way of saying, like— I don't think there's a moral imperative that what I'm doing here is what everyone has to do. I do agree with you that there is some value to having this disagreement. I think that 
you know, whether or not either of us changes our perspectives or anyone listening changes their perspectives, I do think there is value in hashing these issues out with someone who genuinely disagrees with you rather than even a really good interlocutor who mostly agrees with you. Right. So I am using you as a cudgel against them and I won't apologize for it because well, then I'm telling you, stop it. Don't do it. I think it's a mistake. <laughs> and I think you should you should back away quickly from that idea. Well, I strongly disagree with your claim. of. I'm not I'm not suggesting people have a moral responsibility to debate everybody all the time. I certainly don't think that. And I also think there's a lower amount of responsibility for non-intellectuals. However, I think it's it's actually like immoral to claim that academic intellectuals should be able to de- de- degrade and derogate some position and then not debate it because that's what I see a lot of and that's what bothers me. So like if you're going to denigrate my views and then you're going to refuse to interact with them, I think that that's immoral and I would say that that's an immoral thing to do and that if you're not going to interact with the views, then just stay quiet. Don't participate. I, I mean, if this is your perspective, and I totally believe it is, I it think is. that you should. Yeah. I mean, I think that you need you personally. I would recommend work harder on not strawmanning people who disagree with you, because looking just at your descriptions in some of your articles of the left, like looking at the way that, like, not just on Twitter, but like in your published Quillet articles, you really often don't give your opponents any sort of credible or charitable um, read and that it leads to it feeling like you're not, you're not seriously engaging. And that makes people, I think, less want to engage. I think that what you're doing is you're interpreting the group that I'm criticizing more broadly than I am. So if I'm criticizing the great awakening, I'm focusing on a specific set of people. But let me give an example here, right? You say in one of your papers, um, popular hashtags such as believe women imply Mm. that women are incapable of lying or misremembering. Do you really believe that that's accurate? That's probably not the fairest characterization. No, I do believe that there was an over. Some people do claim that we should believe women more strongly than I think the evidence warrants. But yeah, I I agree with you. That's probably not the most chair. And and to be fair, that article in total is probably not the most charitable one. So I would be happy to say that in a perfect world, I probably would not have penned that article. (laughs) So would you back away at this point from like your talk of the West? Because that's another thing that you get into a fair bit that I have a real issue with is like, you talk well, about in- progressives hating the West and like, I don't know what you mean by Western did I, culture. Did I say hating the West? Did I say that? I'm uh, sorry. I think you said uh, have a strong disdain for Western culture that? and attempt to demonize um, many of its heroic figures like Washington and Jefferson and okay. Churchill. Yeah. So I, I think, uh, okay. So to be, I'll be charitable to me and then harsh on me to be charitable to me. I would say there are lots of claims like that, that are defensible. And I do think there is a bit of an animosity to Western culture that I see that has become rather sort of commonplace in academia. However, I will say again, that article is not the way to invite people into a conversation. And I do regret the forcefulness of some of my eloquent denunciations. And I agree with you. I think 
that you will find this, though. This is what I would say. So I would disavow. Well, let me say I like some of the article, but some of it goes way too far, and I agree with that. I mean, like even just the way too far stuff. I don't, I don't know. I don't agree with you that like. I, I agree with you. There's an animosity towards a particular picture of quote unquote Western culture. And I think we could even debate what we mean by Western culture here, sure. but like I'll, I'll, for the sake of argument, uh, assume that I know what you mean for the moment. Like mm-hmm. what progressives have an issue with is a rosy picture of Western culture that ignores the harms. And that like, I, I personally love quote unquote Western culture. When I think about the positive aspects of it and I strongly sure. dislike the negative aspects and I'm not sure why this is something that came up with the Ilhan Omar Trump situation where like yeah. when someone like Omar criticizes um, America, right? Mm-hmm. People treat it differently than if I criticize America. And that seems like a major problem. And it seems to me that when progressives criticize the West, people mm-hmm. act differently than when a centrist or a right wing person criticizes, quote unquote, the West. OK, so. I think I I mean there, I think some of what you said is definitely true. I think it's perfectly fair to criticize certain practices in the West. Slavery is a good example that deserves universal condemnation, and I think it receives it. However, mm-hmm. I do think there's a difference between a, a sort of judicious um, accounting of the sins and glories of the West and what you might find in a in a regular progressive uh, circle, such as, say, Howard Zinn's American Hi- or the People's History of the United States. Now, that, that strikes me. And, and look, I'm, I, to be clear, I'm coming from the radical wing of leftists when I was in my early 20s. You know, I flossed my teeth on Chomsky and Zinn. And I think if you read a people's history, it basically reads like a caricature like a conserv- if a conservative were to caricature a progressive and write a book from that caricatured perspective, you would write a people's history. That's just this like litany of the supposed crimes of everybody in the history of the United States. And basically the whole narrative is the United States is relentlessly evil and the people, which is only vaguely defined, but the, the people, the, the, the oppressed are always good. And I, yeah, I think that that's a bizarre picture of the world. I, mean, I, I think that, that that's, a, that's a corrective perspective of the world. Okay. Right? He's deliberately writing in response to mm-hmm. a history of glorification of the West. Okay, but if I wrote a corrective to Zinn, and mm-hmm. I, actually there is one, there's a Patriot's history. Mm-hmm. I find that equally ridiculous. I don't like either. I would rather have just a judicious assessment of reality. I don't need correctives on either side. But let's I think put you that would aside. argue that you can't get to the judicious without correctives, okay. right? Okay, maybe that's fair. So let's just put that aside for a second, though. And I will, I will say this. Like, I, I'm sure that I have said, and ri- I'm sure that I've written articles, and I'm sure that I have said things that are incendiary and that don't further... Uh, discussion among people in different tribes. I'm definitely sure, and I'm sure I will do it again. I will say this, however. I don't think you can find a personal interaction of mine on Twitter in which I'm remarkably unfair to the person with whom I'm communicating. And I try always to be fair and open to discourse and dialogue. And I have invited anybody onto my podcast, and I I feel as though I've been 
perfectly fair with you and you've been perfectly fair with me. And so, yes, I will repeat again. I do think it's immoral if you are going to call me a racist or call Noah Carl a racist or call us other names, then yes, you should have a discussion about that. That is a moral obligation. You've inserted yourself into the conversation by making inflammatory claims, and now you should have to have a conversation about that. I don't think that's asking for a lot for other people. I agree with you. There are lots of people who shouldn't have these debates. They're they're not well-read enough to, or they're, they're just not interested. Fine. Then stay out of the debate in the first place, and then there's no obligation there, right? I don't. I don't one hundred percent agree. I partly okay. agree. I okay. think that like if I'm going to engage with you, and I do agree that you seem on in your Twitter interactions to be more generous than I've experienced in some of your other. Um, I, I, I guess I, I spent the past week listening back through your podcast, and there were just I, I just kept noting the number of cases where Corey was like, "Well, that's not a really a generous read of yeah. the left, is it?" So that's like, sort of yeah, <laughs> I know, I know, but like you know, I. I I gather that you have a genuine built up animosity of your own that that pushes you in this direction sometimes and I'm glad to hear that you're you're aware of it and that you're you're working on that cuz we all have these things that we have yeah, to work on and I guess what I'd yeah. say is um I think it's okay for the rank and file of the world, right, to mm-hmm. form beliefs about this particular thing is racist or not without necessarily obligating them to defend every single time that they form a belief. I think there's oh, this no, kind of view amongst rationalists that, like, you have to be willing to debate everything, right? Oh, sure. I agree with that. I, I agree with you. There's a difference between but, – but then – when you put your opinion into the public sphere, I think the obligation becomes different, right? So, like, let's take a different example. You, presumably, you would say that if you're going to go into the public sphere and say that, say, uh, you think that Hispanic people are less intelligent than Europeans, you should be prepared to debate that, right? I think so. I think it'd be reasonable to uh, be prepared to engage with that. <laughs> right. So do I. I definitely think you better be prepared to. And Similarly, I think if you're going to come into public sphere and call Noah Carl a racist or me a racist or or me a fascist, you had better be prepared to have a discussion about that. Not one in which I'm berating you, because that's not what I would do. I would just want to have a discussion and say, why do you think that's fascistic? What are you talking about? Let's have a discussion about it. Right. That's what I would say. I, I agree with you, though, for the most part. Many people will form beliefs that I don't think they're obligated to debate. I agree with that. But when you insert yourself into the public domain, especially the more the sort of more incendiary the claim you're making, the more the obligation to debate it, I would think. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's not untrue. I agree. I do mostly agree with that. And that's I mean, that's obviously I'm here having this debate with you. So I clearly (laughs) agree on some level. Um, and, and let me say, I will say this, if I, I will work, I am going to work hard. I really am. I'm going to work hard to be, and I've thought about this a lot, and even the past couple of weeks, just like trying to be as charitable and building sort of bridges. And I, for example, not using the term blank slatist, uh-huh. um, a lot of these things that I want to do to be fair, to be as fair as possible. I really do. And I, I think, yeah, you can point to some of the things I've said in articles that I maybe had fun saying because I was angry and they didn't accomplish anything. 
And I think that's fair to criticize. Totally. Uh, totally. And I mean, you know, I've, I, I, I troll people on Twitter. I'm not going to deny that, like, <laughs> you know, there, there is a point in Twitter where I go from we're, we're having a conversation to I'm playing with my food now. Um, <laughs> so, like, I understand that. Uh, let me let me just throw this out here. And, like, okay. I don't want you to feel like I'm, I'm being overly critical of you. You can have me on your oh, show and, and, and criticize all of my shtick. And there's plenty to criticize. But I you think... For sure. <laughs> Something that you might find actually genuinely helpful, right? If you really are into this, like, de-escalation between these different tribes and, like, building communication would be, I think, being more open to people's, you know, you're very concerned, you're very understanding of people's fear of immigrants, it sounds like, yeah. right? Sure. Be more understanding of the fear of scientific racism, that, like, there is a lot of good reason, I think, for people to be afraid of what people with bad intentions will do with your work. I'm not saying that means you shouldn't be allowed to study it. I'm saying it it should be treated like, I think you guys made this comparison to one of your podcasts, like the smallpox kind of virus, right? Like, these are ideas that have incredible potential for harm. They should mm -hmm. be studied in careful conditions. They should be discussed in very careful conditions. And framing can make a huge impact on what what place those beliefs have in the world, which is why, again, I was saying earlier, I think if you said I'm strongly progressive and like I want to see equality in society, I, I, I have some concerns about limitations based on some research. And let's talk about that research a little bit. That comes off very differently than, you know, I'm a centrist, I don't agree with the right on a lot, but I think the left has gone crazy about their fears. It doesn't get, that doesn't give me the impression that you're going to handle this topic with the level of um, severity that it deserves, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, I, I think that's fair. There's some in what you said that I did, I think I disagree with. I do, I do, of course, I think it's fair. And I, I want you to know, and listeners, you know. I have thought about that issue about um, the potential harm, for example, a lot for a long time, right? I mean, so I'm thinking I converted, if you will, to believing in significant and important human population differences when I was about 25. So for 14, 15 years, I've been wrestling with that topic, and I didn't write about it at all until I was in my mid-30s. So... Um, I, I, I have thought about it carefully and I do agree and I continue to interrogate myself about it. So I, I agree with that advice. I think it's important to do that. And that that's something that is not unreasonable to ask for. I think where I get concerned about it is it sounds as though what you're, you're suggesting is like, if you frame this as a progressive, mm -hmm. then that's, that's like somehow gives you like points and the fact is, I'm not a progressive. I agree with you. I'm a I'm a a Whiggish conservative. I believe in progress. In fact, I believe in progress and and how awesome progress is so much that I want to be careful about it and to attempt to preserve it and to laud our ancestors who led to this progress. So I guess I'm more of like a Burkean, and I don't want to frame things as though I'm a progressive because I'm not. I guess, I'm, I'm, yeah, it confuses me a little bit because it seems like in some of the content, I would identify you as a progressive, I think. It seems, but, but like, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll accept your identification, uh, okay. your self-identification <laughs> I mean, in this context. I'll refer to you as you want to be referred. Thank you. <laughs> no, I mean, I really don't. 
I, I just think that's the accurate description. Maybe, maybe it's not the best description. I mean, I, I think I'm a weird, I mean, like, I talk to Corey about this all the time, and I'm like, what am I politically? And she's like, I have no idea. You're weird. So I, I accept that I'm pretty weird. I don't, I, I sympathize with progressives on some things. I sympathize with, you know, et cetera. So mm-hmm. that's fair. I just don't, I get concerned because I know people who are are perfectly decent conservatives who study these things, and I don't want them to have to frame it as a progressive. They should be able to say, here's the science. This is what we're talking about. This is the science. This is what I think is true without qualifying it with five things to appeal to to people who are like sensitive about the politics of it. I think that's where I I start to get worried. I I mean, this gets into SciComm kind of questions. I think that like... You know, you ha- as a scientist, you should be studying the truth, but you should right. also be aware of the cultural context in which that truth is being studied in your framing yeah. of that truth to the non-scientific yeah. world. Oh, um, for sure. For, I, to- I definitely agree with that. I, that I don't that's what just... I'm talking about here. Okay. Right. Okay. So, um, all right. But we've there's I'm sure there's plenty more we could go through, but I feel like I've, I've taken up a ton of your time already. And uh, oh, this will be two I mean, really I good truly, episodes, I think. Okay. I truly appreciate it. And um and I, I will try not to use you as a cudgel, I promise, but I do, I still will thank you for having this conversation and, and I enjoyed it. And um, yeah, you got about it. And okay. do you want to let folks know where they can find you again? <laughs> you know, where, where, what, what things, you know, hawk the things for you? I actually don't know where they can, they can find me on Twitter, but I actually don't know what my handle is. But if you look up Bo Weingard, maybe assistant professor at Marietta or something you can run into me I will suggest I will still make some tweets that may offend progressives but if you interact with me I promise it was all in good fun fair enough and I do think people should check out your um cyphalopod podcast it was an interesting experience um okay (laughs) I mean in the sense in the sense that I think I disagree with you but I'm I'm not I'm gonna have a conversation with Corey hopefully I think she's gonna come on the show as well she said she was going to yeah yeah so so I think that'll be interesting because I, I have a harder time getting a sense of exactly what her perspective is um, yes. compared where I feel like I, I got a pretty clear sense of where you were coming from. But I do think <laughs> that you all have a really good back and forth and that like, it's yeah, not, I, it's not an echo chamber podcast is what it feels like to me. Right? No, it's not. And, and I will say, I, I mean, I, I will say, I say this to her myself, which is that she, her, her real views are a little better hidden than mine are, I suppose in some sense, but yeah, she, she's truly more progressive than I am and challenges me. And I enjoy that. Yeah. So, well, Bo, thank you very much for coming on. Very much appreciate it. Anytime. I appreciate it. Thank you to our listeners and patrons for making all of this possible. Thank you to our new patrons, Grand Priapism, Hunter Ash, John Bartlett, and General Contact Unit Problem Child. Uh, Thank you to our $20 tier patrons, Jude Law's Canadian accent in Existence Makes My Pussy Throb. The person who controls the spice controls the void. Volunteer with Camp Quest this summer, campquest.org. Jonathan Steele is a great dad fund. Jesse Rabinowitz and Brenda Goodman. And thank you especially to our top tier patron, as always, the wonderful Dave Maslich. Thank you so, so much. 
You all make this entirely possible. Uh, if you'd like to support the show, please leave us a five-star rating and review on your podcast app. Follow us at Twitter at ETVPod and support us financially at patreon.com slash embrace the void. And remember, you are the void and the void is you. Mm-hmm.